Hello, yeah. Clarice. <laughs> yeah. Not as good as Duncan, but oh well. Yeah, well, quite frankly, Duncan's is not as good as mine. So that is true. That is true. Suck, suck it, Duncan. He's <laughs> <laughs> not. He's not here to defend himself, but. You know, I recorded with him yesterday, and that's almost as good. <laughs> oh, how are you guys? Happy birthday, Vanessa. Thank you. Happy birthday, Vanessa. Thank you. That's the official birthday song. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> the officially yeah, I, birthday song. Yeah, well, you know, patent pending. But uh, yeah, thanks for recording on your birthday and everything. That's awesome. I'm I'm very I'm honored to be here celebrating your birthday with you in some respects. <laughs> well, you know, and we recorded on David's birthday last time, so right, right. But kind of, you know, fuck that guy. He's not here. All also, <laughs> so <laughs> passive aggressive grandpa is old news. Right, um, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting passive aggressive uh, te- uh, grandpa texts suggesting music for this episode. <laughs> nice, nice. Was, actually, I know he was just totally stoned and randomly came across a piece of music that was about Jeffrey Dahmer, but <laughs> I was immediately like, what is this by passive aggressive grandpa text? <laughs> like, look, man, you walked away. Right. <laughs> you left you me left with the me. show to raise alone. Uh huh. <clears throat> I, I think it's going to be fun, though. I'll probably drop the new uh, segment. Not new segment. It's really just the old segment with a slight twist. But um, probably tomorrow. Cool. And start collecting mm-hmm. some movie ideas. I mean, I feel like, like I said, I didn't want to step on the release of the last show. But also, I want to give us enough time to actually watch a movie that we don't know the name of yet. Yeah, Absolutely brilliant yeah i man i just hope they're not motherfuckers about it you know like i i hope that i hope i i feel like i know the devour listeners well enough to know that my hopes are in vain mm-hmm. <laughs> but i hope they they go for legitimately good movies but yeah. i think what's gonna happen is it's gonna be like oh this will be funny to make them watch right. which is which is okay too but i you know yeah, the, I mean, I've seen <laughs> the Baz I've effect. Se- yeah, I've seen I've, I've seen a lot of crap, and I've I've been making a conscious effort not to lately. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I like watching crap. I mean, <laughs> really, I am a glutton for punishment. Oh, after doing like I I have been living Dahmer for a couple of days. So. Oh, <laughs> so after this show this show is done i'm probably gonna watch that flatliners remake Ooh. or reboot or reimagining or whatever the fuck it is yeah uh, just because i'm like i need a palate cleanser i know this is going to be the most boring bland inoffensive thing in the world and that's kind of what i need yeah. and al- also ellen page is an adorable little munchkin oh i know that's exactly what got me through it oh she's in that yeah, yeah. it's it's a pretty boring movie because it, it's just so sterile like you know it's i can't it's just the the entire color palette sets the mood for the like the entire tone of the way the script is even written because yeah i yeah. feel like the first one has like flapping wet moldy tarps all over the place or something like that you know it's yeah yeah 
It's a dark movie. Although, if I'm going to be brought back from the dead experimentally by med students, I want it sterile. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that is the plus here, but yeah. But it's not me, so I want to see them be dirty with you know some rusty nails. You know. Yeah, like, like Allison Chain should be playing as they're doing the surgery, <laughs> or whatever, or as they kill you. It's like, oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to go out on Rooster. Shit. <laughs> so what if that's the last song I ever hear? That sucks. That's a bummer. Yeah, not even the best Allison Chain song. Exactly. <laughs> who does Spoon Man? Is that Soundgarden? Yeah, that's Soundgarden. Yeah. yeah. Who does Spoon Man? <laughs> hey, man, in 1994 or 1995, I bought like a Soundgarden record, a Nine Inch Nails record, a Snoop Dogg record, a Green Day record, and something else. And then I only listened to punk until I was out of high school. Yeah, well, you just, you bought the 90s right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you had slipped in Pearl Jam's Black, you're done. Oh, I had the, the Woodstock Live album, the 94 Woodstock Live album, too. Oh, yeah, fine. Yeah. You're good, then. It's <laughs> <laughs> my time period. I am, oh, the shitty music I listen to and still love. <laughs> it's that stuff. It is, I mean, it's like I can listen to uh, anything on Smashing Pumpkins Gish uh, any day of the week because that was the that was the tape we had in the car driving from my hometown to college. Oh, cool. And yeah, so when I hear I Am One, which is still one of my favorite <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins songs, uh, when I hear that song, I'm thinking of being on the interstate on, in Kentucky. And it's... Yeah, nostalgia is a, a vicious beast. Uh, were you driving to Lexington or Louisville? Lexington. I, I, I started at Transylvania University, appropriately enough. <laughs> I went mostly because of the name. I was like, of fucking Transylvania? Are Hell yeah. Me? <laughs> the sweatshirts alone are worth their weight. And... Yeah, it, it turned out it was... A really nice school, but way more expensive than I need to attend. <laughs> uh, you got to pay for all those abbeys the Count is buying in America. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The The worst part of the, the, the university, actually, was the fact that you could not get anywhere at night. I mean, you were just up to your asshole in wolves. <laughs> like, ah, oh, goddamn creatures of the night. <clears throat> yeah, and those are... They feed off horses in Kentucky. They're, they get a lot bigger than usual. Right. You ever run across a vampire horse? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I've already started recording. That might be a good soundbite somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they're fast. <laughs> oh, I apologize if there's any weird background music. Uh, not music. What, <laughs> what glorious music they make. Um... <laughs> It's really fucking windy here. We don't have the snow that you East Coasters are having, but... Well, we are having the wind, but um, it's a little too warm, so we've had a lot more slush in the city. Ooh. But oh, That, that it, sounds just romantic. Well, we, I mean, it's still... I went outside... I took out the trash around three, and we probably had three, four inches at that point. 
but it was kind of slushy and it's the temperature's dropping so it's all going to be ice and it's going to be really shitty and it's supposed to continue through the night but i think it's gonna we're gonna have more ice than actual snow which i'd rather have snow honestly oh sure yeah well because snow you can actually walk around right that's what i hated about living in cincinnati is that you got more ice than snow and so many fucking hills in that place uh, yeah, do you want to know how many dents I got on the bumper of my car that first winter, <laughs> that first winter I spent there <laughs> trying to parallel park? Like, <laughs> yeah, on those hills in ice. Yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Could, uh, the kind of weather that would make you grow up to kill and eat 17 people. Yeah. Although he was from northern Ohio. Yeah. I... It's been weird going through, uh, like, I read the book first, then watched the movie, and then kind of did the deep dive on... Well, hold on, hold on a minute before you start talking. Do we want to actually officially start recording? Oh, maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to miss any of the gold. Because <laughs> I went on a deep dive as well. So. Sweet, I'm just going to sit back and make jokes. Welcome to episode 11 of the VD Clinic. I'm uh, your host, Vanessa, and with me, who actually decided to return, is my co-host, Darren. Yes, I have decided, decided to return. To return. <laughs> I think I like it here. I think I'm gonna like it. He, sorry. Despite threatening to quit on me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just change my name to something that doesn't start with D and confuse everyone. There you go. Sorry, I'm a little wired. I you change your name to Darren Anders. I think that would clear everything up. <laughs> Darren Anders, David Jr. <laughs> and that voice is our guest today, Bo Ransdell. Hello, Bo. Hey, it's me, Bo Bleach Skull Ransdell. Here to talk about everybody's favorite serial killer. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's maybe top three for me. Not my favorite. He is. I he is, Alien Warnos is my favorite. So. Uh, sure. All right. I get that. Uh, she, <laughs> I, but I'll tell you, here's the problem with only Warnos for me is that you can't count on what she says to be true. That, like, especially, uh, she has so many contradictory confessions and, and that kind of thing when uh, they finally caught her. That right. it, it's it, it's a little tough to know what's what with her. Yeah. Um, what I like about Jeffrey Dahmer is there is a really detailed accounting of this guy 
pretty much from cradle to grave. And he seems like the most honest serial killer? Question mark. That's why he's (laughs) there for me, too. Yeah. You know, he's just like... I am so glad somebody finally caught me. Do you know how terrible this was? Like, I, I genuinely have some sympathy. I mean, I, I, I think he's a monstrous individual. Like, they, you know, we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about the book in particular, sort of the author's view of, of Dahmer. But I, I kind of share that view in a lot of ways, which is he is he is such a pitiable figure up until he becomes a completely monstrous person. And I, I, he's fascinating to me. Like I've, I've been way too, I, I, I've been doing nothing but dumping Dahmer shit into my head for a couple of days. And, and so now I'm starting to think like, you know, if only he'd had a friend, maybe just one real friend would have, would have pulled him out of this, but that's, that's probably naive. No, no, no. Well, no, that's the discussion I was I was going to have. And so, yes, for for this month, we are uh, covering both the book and movie of my friend Dahmer. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, <laughs> Darren and I were joking that this is like I, I was looking forward to this was like lighthearted material after <laughs> reading last month's book for fascist February. Um, <laughs> that was just yeah. What, what, yeah, what, what it's more horrific, fascism or cannibalism, you be the judge. Right. In, 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 in Brazil, as you know, what humor is in there, it's still a very bleak movie and, and everything, too. And this, while it's still a dark subject, it, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not quite as, it doesn't feel quite as bleak and, and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, for whatever reason, I don't know, I... Uh, I warn everybody now. I'm a, a huge true crime uh, fan, uh, fanatic, and yeah, I get way into this stuff. <laughs> and I think that's I, why people are here. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna get dark. <laughs> we're gonna talk about gay fucking <laughs> decapitation. There's gonna be a lot of semen. <laughs> And I, for some, one, can't wait. Some acid bats? <laughs> yeah. Boiled brains. Oh, man, this guy. Oh, yeah. I, Good God, he had a vision. He just wanted a sex robot. That's all <laughs> he wanted. You're right. He was determined and he had a vision. I. You have to give him that. Uh <laughs> well, he's not like uh, what, what's his name, like Carl Pansrum, uh, somebody like that. That's just an evil motherfucker riding the rails and right. just murdering wantonly. Like Dahmer wasn't wasn't at at heart a killer. That was that's what he yeah. did. But yeah. it was to get to the fucking <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> anyway, before we get any further on the Dahmer, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Way to blow our load. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how is everybody doing, uh, Darren? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, the the newest psychosemantic episode you would be hearing at this point is we just we all survived the purge on March 21st. Um, other than that, thank I have Yeah. <laughs> other than that, just been 
hanging out. How uh, how are you, Vanessa? I'm doing better than last time we recorded. Um, <laughs> and um, definitely better than the last time I recorded with Bo, which was a week after you and I recorded, Darren. Um, I There was this bullshit situation that came up with my insurance company and it caused me to get off of some of my psych meds and I was not in a very good physical or mental place for yeah it's probably been about three weeks I'm back on them and I'm actually like feeling my normal crazy self (laughs) um (laughs) much more functional but um yeah, so <laughs> I'm doing a hell of a lot better than when we last talked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, meds are a, a beautiful thing. And insurance sucks, and uh, I'm happy I have it, but... <sighs> yeah, let's just... All right, let's spend about 45 minutes just bitching about insurance. <laughs> and yeah, how stupid I, I could, it is. I could, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. All right, well, where's... Just, we have a dom rabbit hole to go down. Oh, that's so true. Um... Who cares about insurance when you get <laughs> trophies and shrines? We'll we'll watch Burn After Reading for the Psycho Semanticast, and we'll bitch about insurance. I, I he- one of my I, that, I I think that's a lesser Coen Brothers film at the end of the day, but I think that the end of that movie with J.K. Simmons saying like, "Well, does any of this mean anything?" <laughs> Is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. True, I agree. I, it's, yeah, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I don't know as well as others. Ah, you know, I don't know. There's something about it. I've probably seen that movie five times for some reason or another. Yeah, I've probably only seen it twice. But Francis McDormand's McDormand McDermott McDor Dormand, I think. Okay, McDormand. Feel like her driving uh, force behind her is not having proper medical insurance. Yeah. Anyway, anywho, <laughs> wild, crazy tangents are have nothing to do with methodical serial killers. Uh, well, yeah, how are you, Bo? Speaking of methodical serial killers, <laughs> always keeping one step ahead of Johnny Law. Um, I'm doing great, actually. Uh, we just wrapped up episode seven. Of the new X Files season on the Duncan and Bo go to the X Files show, and our level of being over the X Files has reached <laughs> new heights. <laughs> like we we don't even pretend to give this latest episode a fair shake. We just <laughs> break break out the knives. Um, I'm a I'm a couple episodes behind, but I know this season has not been good. Oh man, it's just so stupid. Every everywhere you turn in that in that show, something stupid's happening. Uh, there are a couple. There have been a couple of highlights, and if you're early going, um, it was like episode three ish, four ish, maybe the one with the uh, um, the dude who was part of the X Files all along. Theoretically, oh. the one that Darren was in on. Yeah, um, that episode I thought was wonderful, and it it ain't never been that good again. That was the last uh, one that I liked, and last episode of your show was the first one that I just didn't watch the episode for, and I think I'm going to let you guys <laughs> fill me fill me in just through listening to your show about it. You're better off, uh, quite frankly. <laughs> um, 
there are better ways to spend your time. And then, and then after I finish this show tonight, I, I start working on the new horror hangover, which is going to be all about uh, life force. Oh, Ooh. fun. And you're right. So, uh, as I, I, I close a chapter on Jeffrey Dahmer, I open one on cocaine and, <laughs> and it's effects on genre cinema. <laughs> Oh God, Canon Films. <laughs> Canon <Jo> Films. <laughs> Toby Hooper just being like, Hooper, you know, what the fuck. <laughs> you know what we need is we need this French ballerina showing her vag for at least sixty percent of the film, if that's cool with everybody. Right. And and uh, people were just, you know, <laughs> what? Okay. And <laughs> it turned into <laughs> something special. That movie is really it. It's not good, but it is. I dare you not to watch it. You know, it's <laughs> like once I see Life Forces on, I get sucked into that thing. Like you know, Shawshank or something, where it's like, what scene is this? Okay, I'm in for the rest of this. <laughs> I know, I know where it's headed, and it's fucking crazy. Uh, so yeah, in answer to your question, how I am I? Cocaine movies. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me here. Thanks and, and, and thanks for having me on your birthday. It's uh, it, it's so much fun. I, like I I'm like yourself. I enjoy a good serial killer. Uh, I find the psychology of of serial murderers uh, fascinating. And Jeffrey Dahmer is just mwah, as far as like you can see every neurosis. In mm -hmm. in him, so like a neon lit of yeah. like he's borderline personality, also repressed homosexual, and you know, right, right. Uh, you see early traces of the it's, necrophilia it's and the boxes torturing the animals. Yeah, yeah. It's just like man, and and the jogger. God, the jogger story is just the most serial killer thing that ever serial killered. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm so, so I'm so excited. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to take a brief break and we will be back. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little popping up. Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. 
Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be did a you rough watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. And now, another episode of Quarantine Theatre. There's a sunfish. Um, whatever we catch, we gotta throw back. Yeah. You guys hear Victor Kramer's mom called him masturbating with a vacuum? <laughs> what? Yeah. God, is he alright? I don't know. With the vacuum? How? I don't know. Supposedly, he just stuck his wanker in the front half. How else would you masturbate with a vacuum? Fuck. Ouch. Hey, what's the difference between parsley and pussy? What? No one eats parsley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hey. You got one? Here. Okay. Hey! Okay. <laughs> hey! <laughs> okay, use this to cut him loose and then throw him right back, all right? Just cut him right off the line. Just cut the line, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, what the hell? I said throw him back. Sorry. Why do you do that? I just wanted to see what its insides looked like. Just get rid of it, okay? And we're back with our movie. Uh, well, I guess <laughs> we're going to see how we end up talking about this. Uh, this might run into each other since it is the book, the movie of the book. Um, the, it's my friend Dahmer. And um, so the movie, I'll give the IMDb description, which I guess also the book description <laughs> It's it just um I don't really think there's anything I mean the the I the the IMDb description gives it as um a young Jeffrey Dahmer struggles to belong in high school but I I think that's such an oversimplification of what this is <laughs> um anyway it's a uh, my friend Dahmer based on the graphic novel uh of the same name by John uh, or uh, Durf Backendurf. Uh, the director is Mark Myers, and it's starring. Sorry, I am so just. I, <laughs> I was not prepared today for whatever no, reason. I was going to ask Darren to do this, but I ended up not. Anyway. Okay, well, I have it ready in case you need any of that information. Yeah, no, and how could you forget? Right Disney heartthrob Ross Lynch. <laughs> well, that's just it. It's, I, I know he's a Disney guy, but I don't. I didn't have a real a frame of reference. I don't watch any of that shit. You know. I think I don't he... kids. I don't babysit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was from, but I, I saw an interview when they were promoting the movie, and he mm-hmm. said something about. I thought it was a cool idea, but also I really like the idea of seeing headlines say like Disney, Disney kid plays serial killer. And that's how I found out about um, who was playing him. Although I've been follow, I was following it kind of from inception because I'm, I'm friends with Durf on Facebook. 
and uh, mm-hmm. he's friends with one of my friend's dads. Um, so I've been following them and I'm glad, well, nobody's written. I've been promoting this movie ever since I found out about it and well before I ever saw it. And so far, nobody said, why the fuck did you make me watch that? I guess we'll find out, but, um, you guys are kind of excited. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically Durf is, is, was a high school classmate friend. I mean, I don't think they. Mm. Dahmer it, never had super close friends, but this is as close of a friend as he seemed to have gotten. Um, yeah. You know. I, I and think... it's just about them, you know, it, in their relationship in high school. And it, what, you know, and it stops basically at the time of Dahmer's first murder. And I mean, they've done movies and other things, you know, related covering the Dahmer killings. But they haven't really explored anything before that until this. I yeah. mean, not that, you know, it's and, um, and it's really it. it I, uh, what I like about the movie is that I think it it does a pretty good job in showing the dichotomy of Dahmer's nature, which is this kid who's who's struggling, just like any kid would in in high school of just trying to figure out who you are and and what you're into and all that stuff and his home life is just a nightmare and uh, there's there were elements of it i could relate to in ways that were uncomfortable at times but uh but i was i kind of grew up in a situation where i couldn't have people over to my house and the scenes where you know, Jeff tries to invite kids over like his friends over and they get this glimpse of his home life that makes them very uncomfortable or he's just trying to hide it from them. Um, all of that stuff kind of, you know, it rung a bell for me in a way, uh, like I said, that maybe is more uncomfortable than I'd like to admit. And I, I think the movie does a nice job of presenting him at first as just kind of this weird kid with, a, a, a broken home life, but also doesn't shy away from these early obsessions he has with like dead animals and stuff like that. Right. Right. I mean, and, and I have to say, yeah, there were certain things of, there are certain things of Dahmer of his story of his background that I can relate to. I mean, it, I mean, and, and how it was presented in this movie, I definitely could see certain things of, Cause I was the weird kid. I mean, I was fascinated by, you know, like I, I didn't do, I was fascinated by death, but I didn't like, I didn't kill animals. Okay. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) No, no, no. Now's Um, the time to admit it. If you did. Yeah. And hence part of, uh, hence part of why I'm not a serial killer. (laughs) One of many reasons, (laughs) but, um, I, you know, I, my father was, uh, a scientist um, an entomologist specifically. I mean, so I'd spent all this time with his microscope. Um, you know, but I was just looking at insects mostly. I mean, that that's, that's if, you know, I'd squash animal, you know, those were the animal killings I did, which is kill some roaches and beetles, you know, it, <laughs> that's, but that's normal kid stuff. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, it's when you but, put them on trial first, that it becomes a problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's once you step up from insects that it starts becoming when it becomes a problem. <laughs> right, right. If um, <laughs> if your experiment barks. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Um but I don't know. I mean they my parents split up, but I was very lucky in that they didn't have the fighting. Um it was just they didn't talk to each other. It was the complete opposite. So I mean I'm I would much rather have had that in a so I mean it you know it's it just still how that affects you because they're not even communicating when they don't talk to each other. You know, it's, it's still the same end. But and then being gay growing up, but trying to hide being gay and trying to hide it from myself just as much as I was trying to hide it from other people. Um, you know, like that's one thing that I I could see, you know, relating to the character here. It's yeah. And I mean, I've had my own issues, I mean, with depression. I mean, I'm bipolar and I was undiagnosed, unmedicated until I was about 22. And my teenage years were not good because of it. Uh, that's when it all, because, you know, you got your hormones going crazy anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, but once you start dealing with the brain chemistry on top of all the other kind of chemistry, the body just kind of starts flipping out. And, um, you know, that, so there were times where I, you know, I'd get those like deep, deep levels of depression that I could totally see. You can see with Dahmer. I mean, it's, we, like you said, Bo, I mean, it's, he's very, he's a very honest person and it's very, he spoke quite at length, uh, about his different, I guess, depression type issues. But, you know, what this movie really puts it out there of what if he had gotten what if someone had gotten him treatment? Right. What if what if anyone hadn't had paid attention to this kid? Right. Right. Um, his father kind of does. You know, his his father is clearly detached and, and the, you know, tr- true to life. Uh, his father wrote a book later. Um uh, what, what was it called? Like a, a father's story, something like that. Yes, I think that's what it was called. And it's him talking about, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer as a child. And he noted things about the kid's obsession with dead animals and animal corpses and roadkill right. and that kind of thing. And he was concerned about it, but he was also very much a, I, I spend all my time at the office. I'm, you know, very career driven his kids were kind of an afterthought. And once Jeffrey Dahmer's brother was born, attention shifted to that kid anyway. So what little attention the father was handing out went mostly to the younger brother and not to him. And, and there would be these moments where the father would pay attention and be like, Hey, what are you doing? This is fucked up. Knock this off. But that was kind of it. And you see that in the film. Like there's the scene with the hut, and like all the the animals that uh, Jeffrey is is preserving in jars and and trying to melt uh, the the skin off so he can have the skeletons um, that the father busts it all down and right. is like try you know here here's some weight so you become you can become more dangerous. Uh, it's kind of like was that the smartest choice but I mean I guess it, it, something to give him focus and it still allows him to be solitary 
Well, but it, it was also like, hey, you can uh, like there. There is a pretty good scene with his father, where um, he he's talking about how uh, as a child, you know, the father, uh, what's his name, Lionel, right, Lionel yeah. Dahmer, mm-hmm. uh, where Lionel is saying that you know, hey, as a kid, I was like you, and it was terrible, and I'm trying, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you meet people, go out, meet, have some friends in a way that I didn't. Because it leads to a life where clearly he is not having a great time. Um, you know, partly that's his own making and partly, you know, his wife is, uh, I think, what doctors call bananas. That <laughs> <laughs> shit crazy is the other term. <laughs> right. The other official term for it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just one of those people who is clearly mentally ill is medicating herself in a lot of ways and is just a nightmare just moods like has to probably be bipolar one would think with the way that her moods are swinging around from what i've read about his um Dahmer's mother um she had been on different like tranquilizers and different kinds of pills off and on for years and even like while she was pregnant with Dahmer um which you know is that a contributing factor maybe maybe not um with Dahmer's situation, but she also like had seizures and uh, some different things like related to that, which could have pointed towards um, bipolar. I I actually went through a period in um, when I was a teenager and had a handful of seizures that um, kind of ended up turning into like migraines and. But they ended up thinking they would, and they didn't realize it for years. It's, it is connected to uh, the bipolar, it's, but it's the chicken or egg kind of thing of, is the bipolar causing the seizures or the seizures being, or is the bipolar being caused by the seizure? Like, you know. Right. Kind of, what? where are we starting? And she seems to have, uh, have had a lot of those issues in real life. And which, can we just say Anne Heche was perfectly cast? <laughs> yeah. I think it's my favorite disturbed woman character that Anne Heche has ever played. And she's done quite a few, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yes. And as at different points in her life, having been a disturbed woman, <laughs> um, I mean, that's publicly documented. <laughs> um, yeah, she won the Sean Young Award for <laughs> public craziness a couple of years in a row. Right, she did. But she was like the perfect level of pilled up housewife crazy in this movie like (laughs) the the scene where he confronts her about like i thought you stopped taking these her behavior in that scene is so manic pill mom yeah uh, in in a way that that feels very accurate um right she yeah she's very good in it right and while i guess while i brought up casting i want to mention dallas roberts as lionel the father I can never see him without seeing him as like his first big role, um, which was Angus the Manny on the L Word <laughs> TV series. <laughs> oh, was he, he did, on that? Yeah, he his character like uh, dated Pam Greer. Yeah. Hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, wish I could have been on the L Word. <laughs> 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 yeah, but he was the male nanny or the see- Manny. They I, called him. <laughs> the first thing I saw him in was Walk the Line, I think. 
Okay, yeah. I'll tell you, yeah. if they ever remade Teen Wolf, he gets the part of the dad. Oh, oh yeah. 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 But I just, I, I continually see him as that super duper nice guy that he, like, doormat nice guy that he wasn't that one character early in his career, even though he's, like, played serial killers and different things. And, <laughs> I mean, there was an, there were, like, a few episodes, he had a, he had a, a, a multi-episode uh, plot on uh, Law and Order SVU where he played a serial killer. I just couldn't take him seriously. <laughs> I just, he wasn't. <laughs> He wasn't like his acting wasn't bad, but I still, you know, for whatever reason, just as he's so well, I guess, you know, stuck in my head like that as the nice guy, whatever, <laughs> the doormat. <laughs> I mean, that goes to the power of his performance, I guess. Right, right. I'm trying okay. to remember. I just watched Mayhem the last month or so. Who was he in that? I saw him listed at least as having been in Mayhem. I man, Mayhem is one of those movies that I know a lot of people liked it a lot more than me. I thought it was okay, but the details of that movie are quickly flying away. Yeah, it's like a video game sort of. I I, I thought maybe it's because I saw it first. I just Belco experiment landed a little better with me. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I I, I like that quite a bit, quite a bit. And uh, anyway, sorry, I'm derailing us again. Yeah, derail away because one of us is going to do it. (laughs) So, Um, but yeah, so so crazy mom, uh, the dad. uh, One of one of the scenes, another scene I like with him is when um, Jeff has that great trip to Washington. Yeah, yeah, and where like when he gets in the car, like his dad's picking him up as the bus returns from the trip, and when he gets in the car. Uh, his dad says, well, how was the trip? And he says very genuinely, like, it was great. And because he had this moment where he actually fit in, he he did something surprising that everyone kind of admired him for. Uh, and as soon as you see the smile on his face of some sort of social acceptance, his dad just <laughs> uppercuts him with... This bullshit, like, I, it's one of those things that I, I think everyone's done a little bit of, whether they like to admit it or not, where you paint yourself as doing the right thing, even though you're doing the most cowardly shitty thing possible, <laughs> where he's like, look, uh, I went ahead and moved out of your ho- uh, out of the house. You know, your mom and I have been having trouble, and uh, I did it while you were gone because I, I just thought that would be better, which just means I was too much of a coward to look you in the eye. And say, I'm moving out of the house. And I'm divorcing <laughs> your mom, yeah. And, yeah, and I'm no longer the one sane person in that house that's not a child is now gone. Right. And so let the games begin. And <laughs> You're left with crazy pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the first you. moment. Oh, sorry. No, I said that's like just you, Dahmer. Like just, <laughs> just you, Jeffrey. You're on your own. <laughs> You got right. crazy. You're the crazy <laughs> pants man of the house now. <laughs> Deal with it. That was the first part, I think, uh, where I like identified a little bit with Dahmer. Because I, I was, I mean, I was always a quiet kid, but I, I've been, I've, you know, anyway, <laughs> I, I never really felt too much like an outsider. I always had a couple friends on the outside, you know, but uh, my parents took us to Disney World. And the day after we got back was when they told us they were getting a divorce. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It's 
terrible. Uh, it, well, it, let me let me ask you a question, and you can decline to answer on the grounds that this is far too personal a question for anyone to ask. I brought it up, so I'll probably answer it. So, what did they know they were getting a divorce going <laughs> into the trip, or was this sort of a hey, let's take the kids to Disney, let's let's see if we can work things out kind of thing? And no. then at the end of it, they were like, "Fucking no." We are it, done. It was, was one last happy that caused the divorce. <laughs> huh? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, I think it was even before they planned the trip, and the it was basically like, okay, one last happy memory or something like that, <laughs> and I'm then we'll tell the them. kids. Yeah, I mean, good on them. That's that's not a terrible way to go about that. Like. No. The, when my parents split, there was no like, you know what? Let, uh, do you feel better just now that we've decided this? I do too. Let's go to Disney. Um, <laughs> you know, like with, with my folks, it was like, you know, fucking, we are throwing the shit in the car and getting the fuck <laughs> out of there. It is, there is no planning. There is no deep discussion. We are fucking, you know, taking the midnight train to Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, it it was really really amicable, but I remember the jolt of like Disneyland, Disneyland divorce. <laughs> sure, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was lucky there. Uh, in that sort of situation, I think it's kind of better that you don't see it coming because if you do see it coming, it should have happened earlier. Uh, absolutely, like yeah, when <laughs> when the divorce happened in in our household, it was like. Fucking finally, maybe we get some sleep around here. <laughs> Jesus Christ, everybody. Let's take a five. <laughs> well, my house was crickets. <laughs> it was like, it was, yeah, used to not hearing anything. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad that we can represent all perspectives here, though. Each of us has a little Dahmer in us. Like, uh, you know, I had the, the loud, the, the loud shouting and also a bit of the geographical isolation. Like we lived in a suburb that never got full, uh, fully developed, a, uh, kind of a, uh, one of the tract housing sort of things that mm-hmm. they kind of gave up on at a certain point. Okay. And it's a lot like Bath, uh, Bath, Ohio, man. <laughs> yeah. It, it, where it, where Dahmer uh, grew up. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's where I was headed. Uh, thank you for pulling me back to the earth. Um, <laughs> it was that, yeah. So like I, I was in one of those neighborhoods where there weren't a lot of other kids and, you know, he, he was sort of in that same boat with, he lived close to them, but it was kind of up this hill that no one wanted to go up because you couldn't bike or skate back down. So it was just a pain in the ass to get to his house. If you didn't have a car, and so he was sort of involuntarily geographically isolated as well as, you know, psychologically, because he had all this crazy shit going on in his head that he couldn't really talk to anybody about. There was no one in his life to sit down and be like, look, I'm having some. Have you guys seen that jogger? Um, yeah, I have a lot. And it's something I should talk about with somebody. I've had a lot of thoughts about that jogger. Which, speaking of the jogger in the movie, you know, he's played by Vincent uh, Carthizer. I barely recognized him. I mean, with underneath that beard, he was a he played a, the slimy guy Pete on Mad Men. 
Oh, Dude. wow. I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. That beard totally threw me off. Yeah. Wow. And it might be worth noting that that character is much more fleshed out in the film. In the in the book, Right. it's just he's a random dude. And in the film, it's – it's is it Durf's doctor? Yeah, uh, it's a couple of the kids' doctors, I think. Right. And maybe they Mike. Make the, maybe yeah, so. Mike. It's and, Mike. And he makes the comment about how, like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he touches my balls and I got a cough. And Dahmer is like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, kind of. And and so schedules, and this never happens in the book, or at least not in my memory of it, but he yeah. schedules an appointment with this doctor, this jogger, and uh, clearly gets a boner during the touching my balls part of the exam, which I think is kind of bullshit. Because the whole thing with Dahmer was that he couldn't get it up unless the thing was dead. He was diagnosed as a primary necrophiliac. And so it was one of, like, it's kind of a weird, awkward scene. And, and the performance of, uh, of Vincent Carthizer, when he sees the boner, is just like, oh, oh, I see what's going on here. I bid yeah. you good day, sir. You know, <laughs> kind of yeah. shuts it down. And it's kind of a funny scene, but it was also like, I don't, that do, I, I don't think that's accurate you know, to the character and to the psychology of Dahmer. And maybe that's because I'm just a weirdo who has read far too much about <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Well, I have to say I, um, I'm the weirdo that after I finished the Dahmer uh, reading the book, I then was kind of like, okay, well, what am I going to read now? And I looked around my house and decided, oh, I've got this other book on uh, serial killers, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. And I started that. So let me go ahead and read that now. That's like my, you know, <laughs> yeah. more happy time, bedtime stories I'm reading. You know, they, Yeah, they were good time guys. No one's going to argue that. Yeah. <laughs> Sex slaves and uh, rape and torture. Yeah. And murder. Yeah. Right. It, it, are those the ones that would play the tape? Yes. Okay, yeah. There was all that video of them with the, and it was like called the, the Miranda Diaries. Yeah, right, the Miranda Project. That Miranda Project, yeah. Oh, fucking, people are so fucked up. It's amazing. Anyway, speaking <laughs> yeah. of fucked up people, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, anyway. We'll do, we'll do, but, we'll, we'll do those crazy fuckers another day. Yeah, When they right? make that movie. <laughs> Shit. But the, doctor, yeah. the doctor's appointment awkward erection scene was... Probably the first gripe that really stood out to me in watching the movie. Uh, was like, I think everybody... No, wait. Vanessa, you saw the movie, then read the book? Yes. Okay. And Durf, you read the book, and then you watched the movie? Uh, Durf did indeed. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't, no, I, no uh, it's, a, it's a real compliment that I, I live that character so much for you. You did. You did it that so well. I embody Durf. Uh, Beckendurf. Durf, Bo, uh, Durf. Uh, Bo, Durf, Bo. Um. You honor me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I obviously, I read the book uh, back in college because there's, uh, well, there's, I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer grew up here. I was in the college where Dahmer went for a while before he dropped out. Um, so it was probably... A given that my friend Dahmer would be assigned in a nonfiction comic books class that a senior and <laughs> senior in college would take for an English credit. Sure. Um, nice. 
<laughs> I'm impressed that that's an English course. <laughs> yeah, it was sweet. It was like a 500 level, I think. And it was my friend Dahmer, Mouse, Pride of Baghdad, Safe Area Garage, Fun Home, and maybe one or two others. But um, but yeah, I'm a, I've been a big fan of the book. I <laughs> suggested we do this. And you know, I give people the book for presents. I sent Duncan a copy of the book like two years ago. I don't know if he ever read it. He's not really a comics yeah, he, guy. We talked about it yesterday, as a matter of fact. He has read it and enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, cool. And and m- m- shame on him for not having said so himself. <laughs> he probably well, forgot. And- when he had me on the show the first time, he was like, you were on here like last year, right? I was like, nope, first time. <laughs> it's a poor excuse. well and this is a book that like has been on my like to read list for a while i don't usually read graphic novels not that i have anything against them and i'm actually a visual artist myself um although i paint more than i draw and um you know it has an appeal for me but for whatever reason it's like those are the books that just kind of go down my list and i am like i'll read those later you know, despite as much as I love reading about serial killers and whatever other true crime, well, this, I don't know why I didn't get it to it sooner. I mean, this doesn't necessarily fit all the way into like the basic true crime fandom because almost all of it takes place before he became a serial killer. Right. And yeah, and he is almost his psychology. That's true. You know, and the, the other thing, too, that would turn off some true crime people, I think, is that. In the book, especially, he is a side character. He is much more front and center in the film. Right. And and I think, you know, in comparing the, the two, I prefer the book much more because I think having him as this sort of tangential character that's in just barely in the lives of the main characters is sort of more accurate to what his life was like now obviously as a movie the more interesting thing to do is well let's focus on Dahmer as opposed to just having him be this weird spaz kid um that's you know haunting the book more more than driving it and uh and and so I you know I I understand the impulse of that I I do think that there is a better movie to be made from that book um, when I watched the film after reading, I was a little disappointed by it, partly because of the shift in focus where it's much more about Dahmer and his home life. And not that that's not interesting. It's just coming off of the book. And, it, you know, when we talk about that later, there are things it does that are just much more delicate in, in, in his handling of, of sort of the relationship between Dahmer and the rest of the world at the time. Um, but, I, but I also was really captivated by it. I mean, there's nothing more interesting to me than the birth of a monster. You know, like how how are serial killers created is almost as interesting to me as what what the crime is later. You know, or the oh, series of crimes. Absolutely. And yeah, so there there's a lot of stuff in this that I, I find really interesting. I think it gets a little on the nosy at the end when uh, is it Neil? that actually apologizes to him. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, after the big mall, there, there's a scene where, you know, the kids bring Dahmer to the mall to have one last hurrah. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. 
the command and, performance. Right. And, and the whole deal was what, what sort of insinuated Dahmer into this group in the first place was that he would make fun of, depending on who you listen to, either his mother, who would have fits that were probably pill-induced or, or, right. or mental illness-induced, um, or it was the cerebral palsy of the interior decorator that they had hired, or a combination of the two. And he would just do that in the middle of school, just like start having a fit in the middle of the hallway. And and so these kids kind of fell in love with him and, and made him this mascot of their group more so than a real inclusive friend. And, and so the big command performance is he goes to a mall, downs a six pack of, of beer in what, 10, 15 minutes. I think the drive was, they say, yeah. uh, and because he's just trying to numb these horrifying feelings he's having, these impulses to rend and murder. Uh, well, so- as his, as he's getting older and his hormones are getting more out of check, you know, and he's realizing these different sexual attractions that he, you know, desires or whatever that he has, much of what is connected to necrophilia. Um, yeah. He's there to, he's dumbing, dumbing, (laughs) he's numbing the pain or trying to, it's not about enjoying it. It's not about enjoying a buzz. It's just about, no, I want to be numb. Right. Well, he, he tells uh, when somebody asks him about it, uh, in, in high school, I think this came from some interview or maybe his own confessions, but somebody asked him like, why are you drinking so much? And, uh, or, or ask him what it is that he's drinking. He he calls it his medicine. And the whole idea was that if he drank enough to numb himself emotionally to the point that he could live with the, the urge to kill something. Uh, so he could, cause he just wanted to be, he wanted to have the power and the control of it. He wanted to, he wanted to murder something so he could feel the rush of that. And then he wanted to do a whole lot of fucking with it. And <laughs> he and like, it, imagine being a teenage boy and realizing that the only way you're busting a nut when you're jerking off eight, nine times a day, like you do in high school, you're thinking of this fetal pig that you stole from the biology room and what its guts look like. That's the only thing that's making you pop. And, you know, like, yes, you've got a hard on for, for the jogger that you see every day, but you can't come until you think of him dead. And that's a problem. So right. he is he's drinking his, his ass off to try to stamp that down. And they take him to a mall where he just totally spazzes out. And in the course of the film, you see this kind of self-awareness of how he's being used as a clown. And also this expression of the monster that he's becoming, which is a pretty good scene. Again, I'm not sure how accurate it is. It sounds like the real life equivalent was he did this stuff. He went to the mall, he spazzed out and eventually everyone just got tired of following him around and left. Yeah. And, and this is a little more dramatic as it should be. It's a movie for God's sake, but right. uh, You know, it, it works well enough, but there's also part of me that bristles at it because I, I, I know enough about the real thing that I want it to be the real thing. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. No, I, uh, that's yeah. That's that's where you have to where these kind of things always end up is that okay. What's going to be a better 
what's going to make a more compelling story, you know, visually and just on, you know, on screen. Um, Because on the, on the written page, it's something totally different. The way you can portray psychology is, is different. You know, there are just certain things that don't trans, that don't translate to the screen or for whatever reason you want to make something more dramatic, set whatever tone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing that the, the movie never addresses that, that is something that, uh, Durf Bechter does in the book very pointedly is the fact that they their whole relationship was built around the the fact that they thought Jeffrey Dahmer's impression of a handicapped dude and or his mother was hilarious, right? And you know, watching that through today's eyes, it's like, well, that's terrible. I mean, <laughs> I, I I was also a teenager in uh, the '80s, so I'm no. I, I certainly am no angel when it comes to shit like that. This was happening in the 70s. Right. It's yeah. a it's a different time and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but even, you know, it, again, what the book can offer that the film cannot is Durf himself looking back at that and saying, that was indefensible. Like, we were just terrible kids. We were, we were yeah. kind of mean. And we all feel bad about it now, but also we were stupid kids who could be kind of cruel and, and that Jeffrey Dahmer's sense of humor itself was kind of cruel. And, and that's something that uh, the film also, I don't think makes very clear is that yes, he was, he was weird. He was an outcast. People were ignoring all these warning signs, but also there was an underlying cruelty to the way that Jeffrey Dahmer treated people as well. Um, I, I don't know yeah. that that's, that's really the focus here. Cause it really is about trying to make him a little bit more sympathetic. And I, I, I think he's a character worthy of some sympathy, but also he seemed to be pretty fucking mean. <laughs> so, yeah. They... What with murdering 17 people <laughs> at all. Yeah. Well, what, that, yeah. that thing. Yeah. Um, what well, do you think, um, because in the book, like you were saying, it pointed that out a little bit more. And there's that one scene where somebody fell and hurt themselves and Dahmer thought it was hilarious. And that was one of the times that everybody was like, well, he's he's really weird. Do you think that was uh, sort of trying to be represented in the movie with his uh, friend that wanted to go see who did? What was the musician that the, Neil Sedaka Neil Sedaka? Right. I got the Neil Sedaka <laughs> tickets and the the bully dickhead kids. I, you know, yeah, that seemed that character seemed a little ill-defined in in the film. Uh, it, clearly, it was this sort of like, oh, maybe there's this other kid who is also gay. That if like Dahmer were to take a step towards that, maybe like there would be someone for him to to kind of hang on to but you know also the kid wasn't dead and that was a problem (laughs) (laughs) as far as the sex part of it went i mean Um, some yeah that's that seems like the sort of thing that wouldn't have a lot of wiggle room ultimately yeah, and it's a horrifying curse if you think about it, and and that's the game I like to play when I when I uh, read far too much about serial killers. Is what is the thing that drives them right? Like for Dahmer, it was just like I can't ever have a sexual release unless there are these very specific circumstances, and and the 
the bar gets higher all the time. Um, that's a that's a horrifying curse. Like imagine if somebody told you you can never you you can never ever orgasm again unless you're willing to kill for it. And that's you know I like to think most people wouldn't, but after a few years. <laughs> You start to look at hobos through a different lens. <laughs> or sheep, I don't know. Whatever your deal is. Okay. Or, or whatever, right, right. Whatever it is that you yeah. think you can you can stick a in you or, or into. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so... We both said we t- we started over the past uh, few d- couple days or whatever doing a, a, a deep dive into Dahmer. Um, yeah, I just couldn't stop. I even those like there were stuff that I'd seen before, um, like that documentary, the the Jeffrey Dahmer Files. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I rewatched that because uh, that's actually a, it has some really good interviews with like the cop who actually kind of befriended to some extent as much as he could and or got Dahmer to trust him yeah to talk like as explicitly and as he did um and the neighbor of Dahmer and everything you know it has those there's some great interviews in it but I started watching like some of these other things and like including one that was like a bunch of psychics going to these different places where Dahmer murdered people (laughs) trying to communicate with his you know different ghosts it was so funny it was so ridiculous did you watch the stone phillips interview with him i've seen that before but i did not watch that no today Uh, i i watched that again and that is mesmerizing (laughs) uh in in terms of like you're looking at someone who is um uh, just a demon incarnate and yet there is something so uh, sympathetic about the guy because he seems so he seems tortured by his own actions and his own psychology like I think he he understands what a monster he is and and just couldn't help it uh, there is an element to his capture even that there is a sense of like thank God this is over even for him you know mm-hmm. uh, not to mention the you know 16 non hitchhikers that he murdered um, you know and and poured acid into their brains and all kinds of crazy shit. But yeah, I mean like the, what, what this film tries to do and does a pretty good job of is, is to show, Hey, the, this might have been averted, but also when you look at his family and the fact that high, uh, uh, here's another thing that the movie doesn't do very good. And another thing, God damn it. Um, <laughs> is that one, one of the other elements of, of his social isolation at the school was that they had just combined, two schools in the district. So there was this enormous overcrowding at the high school he attended, which pushed him further into anonymity. Uh, Because I mean, it was, it was way easier to get lost in the crowd. And maybe that's why he started doing the hallway fits is just to have somebody look at him for once. (laughs) God damn it. You know? Yeah. I mean, how long did it take? They, before anybody in charge figured out that he wasn't in every club in the yearbook, they'd exactly. already taken all the pictures. Exactly. So it's just like extra background. Oh, it's, yeah, but that's so fun. I mean, that's such a funny high school thing to do of like, Hey, this weird kid that, that throws fits all the time. 
we're going to have him in all the club pictures. Like that is some shit that we, me and my friends would have done in high school and, and would have thought it was hilarious. And I, it, it was, it was heartbreaking in a, a lot of ways because it, it highlights my own be- bad behavior. Cause we <laughs> had those kids in, in our, our school, you know, and I, I, I hesitate to try to find out what happened to, those kind of social misfits that we used for our own entertainment because we were narcissistic, awful teenagers and, and then just sort of discarded when they had stopped entertaining us. And that's kind of what Dahmer was to these kids. As soon as he became weird and they all understood that he might be a little bit dangerous, uh, it, they, they fucking kicked him out. I mean, there was no hesitation of like, well, we should really do something to help our friend. It was just no, no, no. We got to cut this dude loose. There, there is something off about him. If not, uh, and, and the movie also gives him a little bit more menace at the end, especially with the the final scene with uh, Durf taking him home. Right, where, where it's like, eh, I don't know that you needed to go so far as to have him pick up the bat. No. I, I, I think he's plenty menacing because you know, you know what he's capable of. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, one, <laughs> um, I wanted to, I, one thing I wanted to say is they really, one thing that they did well with the movie is as far as the aesthetic of that time period, I, I thought they, I mean, they nailed the clothes and the hair hmm. uh, and like the color palette. Of, I mean, just, I mean, look at the, the scene where the, um, uh, Dahmer and his father are on the back porch and they're talking and you can see like the colors like that the house is painted and what Dahmer's what they what they're both you know wearing as far as like a suit and a, whatever that polyester type shirt that was popular but those very specific 70s kind of shades of orange brown and yellow and the lighting is uh, like has this like nice kind of peach lighting on top of it mm-hmm. really emphasizes it. I mean, I, I, I will say that's one thing I did enjoy about the movie like visually. Yeah. But, and the, well, the director, uh, the director said that uh, he, he went through hours and hours of old seventies footage. Cause he want, wanted it to be the yellow Brown seventies, not disco seventies. Yeah. Yeah. And well, he said and the even, production department was really, really good at finding that right stuff. No, they 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 were good with that because like if you look at the prom, I mean that the prom scene, um, in particular, it's not disco prom, but it's got a lot of those fashions that I like to call Little House on the Prairie. Like what <laughs> that those styles of clothing, I, that's the, one of the worst aspects of the seventies to me. <laughs> Why did? Why did something from the Little House on the Prairie era of, you know, 1800s? <laughs> Why was it popular? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, probably worth flattering. Wor- Not flattering. <laughs> probably worth noting they, they shot the movie in Dahmer's real house. Like yeah, the real did. life Dahmer home is, is featured in the film. And, and it is 70s as shit. It's the sliding glass doors and. Uh, uh, you know, shag carpeting and wood paneled walls, and it it brought back a lot of memories. Yeah, yeah. Especially the murder. Um, <laughs> you know, 
I, I wish uh, I wish there had been the scene, and I don't even think it's in the book. I wish there had been the scene of him, if not killing the hitchhiker, of uh, getting pulled over with the hitchhiker in his car. Because it's one of the most fascinating things, I thought, in the, the, Dahmer, the early Dahmer story. Because after he kills the hitchhiker, he doesn't kill anybody for nine years. And But the book ends... Like, basically, as he's picking up the hitchhiker. And just like the movie. Okay, okay. So I'm, I, the, the, I feel in some ways like the end of the story isn't that. It's him getting away with it for the first time. And maybe that's my own, the writer in me that's like, no, the natural ending to this story is not him picking up the hitchhiker. It's the fact that he fucking gets away with this. Uh, he beca- he is invisible even to the police. Um, right. So you guys' books don't have part five? Sorry uh, to interrupt, but part four ends with him picking up the hitchhiker, and then there's part five, Fade to Black, right. which right, has right, him right. getting pulled over by the cops with the right. bags in okay. the trunk. All right, so Wait I'm not crazy. Yeah. Hold on a second. Hold and, a second. huh? I'm looking at my book right here. My book, no. My book does. My book ends with him picking up the jogger, Wait. and them coming back to the place, and it just being dark. Oh. Yeah. Oh well, some shit happens. And then there's and then there is a, a after just like some, like notes about like comparing this the book to the actual events like citations. There's just a two page comic of Durf when he hears about Dahmer getting caught in 91 and arrested. Yeah, because I've got all that, but I've also got the fake the black thing. Yeah, and it's got, uh, it was Mike that picked up Dahmer walking, not Durf, and they're telling the story of that. And what's the... Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, I had a page that stuck together. No, Yeah, (laughs) there's that. No, but it's still... Doesn't have him getting away from the cops. Oh, really? Huh. Huh. I wonder if there's some earlier version of it or something. Uh, And that was tagged on later. That's weird. Yeah, well, because the first one was only 24 pages long. That came out in 2001 or 2002. And then then the... I think that's when it came out. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, this time around, I have the physical copy, but a friend of mine borrowed it and div- didn't give it back. So I had a credit and I bought the digital copy for my tablet. And that's yeah. that's got, um, yeah, that longer sounding part five, some sketches, the two pages of when they're like talking about, you know, hey, what what do you hear about anybody from back in the day? Then it's got a whole bunch of, where the facts came from or you know his yeah listed sources and then you keep going and there's scans of the old drawings from high school and uh i can't remember if that was in my physical copy yeah no that's not mine <clears throat> no but see i even after all that i get to a page that says ebook exclusive bonus material so i wonder what happened to i see i got the ebook as well and I wonder if that's it, if we have a, a sneaky extra chapter there you that, go. Yeah. that ends the way I want it to. <laughs> yeah, if yours stops at the end of part four, mine has a part five. Yeah. 
Which is only, I, I mean, it is just the scene with Mike and the cops. Yeah. And and that's all it is, but uh, and but yeah, I I think the you know the, that scene where Mike takes him home, uh, which in the film is Durf. Um, as I was saying, I just I feel like it's needlessly sensational. Like I think you get enough w- once he gets inside and is like, look at this place, man. Like I gotta get out of here. Yeah, just yeah. I think that's all you need, and and for him. For him to have given in for the moment, you know, of like, yeah, let me let me at least try to befriend this guy a little bit, and then just realizing, oh no 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 no, this was all a horrible uh, idea. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in trouble, <laughs> and I, I need to leave right now. Yeah, something, um, I th- <laughs> something in my reptile brain is saying, get out. Right, right. Like this dude is just like he's. There's no power out here. His parents aren't around. And but there is that nice moment of I, you know, my parents are waiting for me. I got this dinner before I go off to college. Just really reemphasizing the fact that Dahmer just never had a shot at any life like that. Have fun and, being alone with no electricity. <laughs> right, living out here in the middle of nowhere for all intents and purposes with no one to supervise you and a lot of dark thoughts in your head. Yep. And easy alcohol, easy access to booze. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how about that you've had for years already at this point? Sure. Like, you know, as, as the movie, (laughs) uh, suggests, you know, by the end of his high school years, he was drinking like hard liquor and a lot of it. Uh, in a in an attempt to not become what he ultimate ultimately became, um, and it didn't work. It turns out, it just it it, it made right. the killing easier. Is what it did. Exactly. So, oh, poor fucking guy, man. Never had a chance. Never had a chance, Jeff Dahmer. He was broke. Like he had a broken brain from jump, I think. And it's just that there was no support system in the world. Like right. That, it, he, if, if someone had been there for him, maybe he could have been okay. But um, I don't know. And then there's the uh, there is the implication uh, that maybe at a point in his childhood he had been sexually assaulted, although he later denied that. But there was a uh, a court record of a dude being released for assaulting a six year old Jeff Dahmer. Right. So, and again, if you're doing the serial killer checklist, tick, 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 Yep. Um, you know, hurting animals, uh, socially isolated, uh, you know, if he was molested as well, holy shit, um, you know, broken home. Yeah. If, if he had been hit in the head, uh, and he had a hurting operation. That was the other thing. His father said that after the, he had a hurting operation when he was real young, like preteen. Yeah. And and his father said that he was never the same after that. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know, hey, we got his brain in a jar somewhere to study. Yeah, it's it, it's just uh, that's one of the things that I liked about the book after having read it the first time. And I think every time I read it is that it's 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 an interesting feeling to empathize with in any other word would be a monster, you know? Yeah, well, but it's it's familiar. 
yeah. you know, like every, every, everyone either had or was that kid in high school. Yeah. Right. Or, or middle school or whatever. You maybe had an awkward stage where you didn't have a lot of friends or any friends. And yeah, we're like one wrong turn and you could have gone dark. Right. Some of us got therapy and medication. <laughs> Some of us weren't as far gone, you know, it, I I know I was born with a broke brain. Yeah. Right, but you know, I mean, if you have parents that are paying a little bit of attention, not even a lot, just a little bit, right? Uh, then that you can you can come out you can come out of that stronger. And and the problem for poor Jeff Dahmer here is that did nobody give a shit about what was going on in his head and. Uh, you know, he said it himself in an interview, like, how do you how do you tell someone this terrible secret about yourself that, you know, will ab- immediately get you locked up? Like, as soon as you tell someone in authority what it is that you're thinking, they're going to put you away. Or at least that was his belief. And well, I, mean, I understand part of that, too. Yeah, exactly. And and actually, I messaged Darren the other day because one of the true crime podcasts that I listen to, which is, which is all like interviews with journalists who write these books about what are true crime and different murderers. And, and um, one of the authors of this book was a collector of murderbilia who kind of befriended the Genovese river killer when he was behind bars and that killer, after he was incarcerated, started admitting like he had not just whatever raped, tortured, whatever, and killed these different women. He cannibalized some. And they kind of bonded over this cannibalist, cannibalistic desire. Um, the murder Belia guy was talking about like, I've had these different thoughts. I've never acted on them, but it something weird came up in conversation and somehow we kind of bonded and could talk about it, you know, but there was the line of where do you, yeah. When do you act on these awful thoughts or whatever? That's it. I mean, we all think about killing people at one point or another, I mean, come on, we do. <laughs> yeah. Some of us, some of us think about it more often than others. But and that's, I think, an easier. I think murder in general is an easier thing for people to think about, like actually committing. Not saying that they want to, but imagine if you could. But that's, and that would be hard enough if you could admit, yeah, I think I could kill someone. But then to have this other darker kind of thought like who do you talk to about that like because is it just a thought or are you going do you want to actually act on it or are you going to actually act on it yeah like you know the thought versus impulse or urge maybe or is that what yeah you're... yeah like where i mean what fine line do we have here okay <laughs> and what could be done to prevent someone who might have these different urges 
I just, I had this, I was listening to this while I was at work the other day and I was, I was kind of like, wait, am I actually listening to this conversation? It was very fascinating, but I was just also like, should I stop listening? <laughs> I can't do my work. <laughs> I can't concentrate. I can't crunch numbers anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's an interesting but, question to ask of, of like of anyone to look oneself in the mirror and not just like to examine the the idea of could i do that am i am i morally capable of an action like that and i think most people really couldn't yeah i mean at the right. end of the day okay. and outside yeah, of extreme circumstances but the the because most people possess empathy and as soon as you start thinking about the fact that like oh i am ending a human life and what about their family and they're probably someone's child and you know or legal implications like you know different things like i mean <laughs> yeah most people couldn't actually go through with it right or if the law of the land does it for you like whatever keeps you from killing right. um we're all for it and yeah. but yeah it but it is that notion of like what if there was this thing that i mean it's it, it's sort of the uh um the erosion of that wall for 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 someone like Dahmer who again can't come unless he's doing something terrible. And as a as a teenager, every time that you decide you want to come and your fantasy revolves around all this dead shit, and s- eventually that that isn't enough, and you can't have a normal relationship, not not romantically certainly, and that complicates your relationships with just with just other people because you can't tell them the one ultimate secret of your life which is this urge that is constantly gnawing at you uh you know i I, yeah i don't know how you stop that other than to have someone intervene and just say here are all the meds in the world and we are just going to keep you as doped up as possible while we try to figure out what happened to you right um because that's it. And maybe at a certain point you just lock them up and you never let them out. But I mean, is that the more humane? It's certainly more humane than letting this psychotic child run around free um, where he's, you know, free to go on to kill 17 people. But right. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what you do with a Dahmer. Uh, you don't at a certain point. They're just they're too broke. You know, by the time he got to high school, I would argue it was already too late. Yeah. No, I mean, his parents, their relationship had been, like, mess, had been, like, going on for years, you know? Yeah. And so he could have been completely broken by the time he got to high school. because And it was too late. Maybe. <sighs> I don't know. It, it's really sad in a lot of ways. It's so, it is. Like, he, you know, he, he there, you, you really just wish you could understand what it was that that pushed him over the line that you know the line that you're you're talking about vanessa what what went from i can't it's a weird fantasy that i've had to it's a weird fantasy that i must make real or i'm never gonna sleep at night oh yeah yeah where where is that point that yeah where do you where do you act on it yeah that's the madness right like that's the point where you're insane where it's like oh this weird thing that gets me off i have to have it i can't just think Mm -hmm. about it anymore i gotta make it i gotta have a sex zombie 
And if I don't have a sex zombie, I'm not going to be able to come anymore. And I really, really want to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you don't have that connection with people as being the people, it's even easier to think about them as zombies. Sure, sure. Like, I I mean, like, by his own admission, what he wanted was total physical and mental control over a smooth chested dude, like someone that wouldn't talk. That was just there for him to lie beside and occasionally fuck. And that's it. No, no chit chat, no going to the movies, just a a lump of meat. He needed a love doll. Right. That's what he wanted. He wanted a, 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 a Laotian love doll of his very own. And the only way to keep them still was for them to be dead. Right. He didn't go the route of shelling out however many thousands of dollars and before they were really made, (laughs) you know, go get yourself a sex robot or whatever. Sure. Love doll. (laughs) I mean, what do do you think? Like if he was in a different time? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, would a male love doll have saved? 17 lives who's to say you know um i don't know I mean, but at a certain point you're not asserting control over a thing like uh, it's inanimate right and and i think there was part of his psychosis no. that he had to take a living thing and make make it his and yeah. and that's why he ate him though you know like when he ate the uh, when he got into the cannibalism stuff, it was all because he wanted these beautiful young boys to forever be part of him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I no. I don't think he would have been. I don't think he would have been satisfied with something like a real doll. But it, it wouldn't have hurt the situation. That's for sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> like. Well, yeah. Let's throw things might, at the wall. See what sticks. <laughs> we might have at least been able to save a couple lives. I'm just saying. <laughs> Right, Ugh. right, and more thorough police work. I don't know. I don't, are well, we sticking just? Yeah, it's it's hard not to go beyond where the book and the the movie stop. Right. <laughs> no, I I agree because yes, I mean when you're talking about once he actually has murdered people, the police and their lack of involvement of I mean our lack of caring because he encountered them multiple times amidst you know these different crime like crimes right but but as soon as the gay stuff came into it the cops were just lost all interest right as, right as you know like uh, the one kid that not not the the guy who ultimately escaped but there was one other escape where uh he claimed to be the boyfriend of one mm-hmm. of the kids he doped who mm-hmm. got out and was just wandering all dazed around. Yeah, it was a and... teenage... There was a Laotian guy. Yeah. Also, he... He was not only gay, but these partners of his were, you know, of other races. They weren't white. And the white cops didn't give a shit. I mean, that, yeah. that was a certain aspect of that, too. I mean... Yeah, no, the reason he got away with as much as he did is because police did not care. They yeah. they were in his apartment while he was killing. Right. And exactly. and did not stop him. And yeah, it it's 
and would have gotten away with it at the end as well if he'd had the handcuff keys. Uh, like the reason he got <laughs> oh, busted yeah. was because the the dude uh, who ran on him the last time uh, he didn't have pills, so he was trying to drink the guy under the table because, as we've mentioned, Dahmer was a drinker. So in in lieu of doping this guy, he was like, "Well, I'll just I'll just keep drinking until he passes out." But the problem was the guy could keep up with Dahmer as right. a, in his drinking. So Dahmer had to talk him into taking uh, bondage photographs, which is how he lured a lot of these guys back to his place. Was he was going to take their picture, and he got the guy in handcuffs, and then when he went to attack the guy, the guy took off. And the police show up, uh, like the guy, uh, because he didn't want to be known as being gay was like, I don't want to press charges or nothing. I just want you to get me out of these handcuffs and then we can all go about our business. And they were like, look, we, we can't do that. We, who is the guy? Let's take you up there. And they ask him to take the handcuffs off this guy. And Dahmer's like, I don't know where those keys are. I mean, you'd have to cut his hand off to get him out of those handcuffs, which is exactly what Dahmer did to get handcuffs <laughs> off of the people that he put them on. Right. And, yeah. and so they eventually say, well, where do you think the keys are? And he's like, I think back in the bedroom. And the cop goes back there and at that point finds, you know, the drawer of bones and here's a shrine with a bunch of dead body parts on it and you know, the gig was up at that point, all well, because they smelled the place. I mean, but I think, but cops had been in there when stuff was rotting before. I think if he had let that guy out of the cuffs, then I think he would have gone on to murder more. Yeah. I, I think the cops would have been like, "Okay, we're done here. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I don't care. We just we want to get out of these two queers' apartment." Right. I think was the attitude. No, I pretty much. Yeah, I think that's an early memory because this, this all Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, do we want to take that last break and then come back in with the last bit of talk that you were talking about? Or okay, yeah, let's take a like a quick break. We'll be back. Badasses, boobs, and body counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. <laughs> Mark, if you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Okay, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> um, yeah, so is there anything else we want to say about the movie? Because I think we're kind of itching towards getting about the book. Yeah, uh, uh, you go first, Bo. I, I would only say, like, I think it's, I think it's a good companion piece to the book. I'm kind of glad I did it in the order I did, which is to read it and then see the film. I I would kind of recommend doing it that way if you haven't seen it. Um, I hope you have. And, and you should, if you're at all interested in this kind of subject matter. It's a good movie. 
I j- it's just one of those cases where the book is so much better <laughs> that, that it, it feels a, like a bit of a come down. Um, I'm glad, actually, I saw the movie first because I agree the book is better. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, I, I sometimes I, I think I prefer that kind of situation of the better book after the good movie, you know, mm-hmm. or the OK movie, because then I'm pleasantly surprised by the book. Going out on top. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you invest so much more time reading a book than you do in watching a movie. You yeah. Know, it, you you, it, you want a book to be worth it. <laughs> I've, I tried to find it. I, I could not find the, uh, the paper I wrote on this in college. But I was going to read some of the choice shitty parts or something like that. Where I just got way <laughs> above myself. <laughs> oh man, I love a good college paper. I've, I've, I've probably got a handful floating around of yeah. like, for my English classes. Where I mean, you you don't have to shred a thing to get good compost out of these. It is cover to cover bullshit. <laughs> I think I focused a lot on in the wait. We're talking about the movie. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah. God, God damn it, Darren. God damn it, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's why I wanted. Let's finish up talking about the movie first. Um, so we yeah. we would all recommend the uh, movie. Is that what we were saying? Yeah, I would. And if <laughs> if you can pick chronologically, I would say read the book. And if you like the book, definitely watch the movie. Or I don't, no, the movie's recommended no matter what. I would say it's a good movie. It's just not as good as the book. Like we said and like everybody says all the time yeah i don't think it would be something people would be disappointed with yeah yeah i like i, I was never bored watching that movie and it's it's you know inching towards a, a two-hour runtime. but i didn't feel like any of it was wasted i don't think there's a lot of fat on that movie i thought it was really good and Hayesh is really good in it as uh, a requiem for a dream mom yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh the ross kid uh, who plays Jeffrey Dahmer is uh, I almost said Jeffrey Ross. I don't think that's right. <laughs> oh, that could be some fun Photoshop for later. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's accurate, but it would be uh, the role of a lifetime for him. Um, <laughs> the roast master and death master general. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's good in the in the film as this very like kind of stone faced, tortured soul. And yeah, I mean it's totally worth a watch. Uh, it's just, it's just not as good as the book. <laughs> okay, and I one thing I did want to mention because I saw this in the theater uh, when it came out a few months ago. Uh, it was like a an afternoon Saturday afternoon showing, so it wasn't like a huge crowd that was there. Probably, I would say there were maybe twenty five people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, well, it was this really small independent theater. And it was the only theater in the city that was showing it at that time. It was like a preview. So people didn't know about it yet. And um, I thought it was really interesting that of the 25 people, I would say about 20 of those were women. Hmm. I would have expected more of like 20 of those to be men. Because that's usually, that's what I'm used to seeing at a movie that's about a serial killer. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It was a mixed crowd at the theater I saw it in. But it was still a relatively small crowd. But it was a small theater. And it was also a very gay audience. Um, There were like multiple same-sex 
like romantic couples there and then myself and I was there with my gay boyfriend Scott so <laughs> the two of us you know it was I thought that was interesting as well <laughs> do you feel like you know because uh Jeffrey Dahmer is so distinctly a gay serial killer it was like well finally we're being represented fairly <laughs> in film <laughs> it's yes, not it's it's nice to watch a movie and see myself on screen. Right, because we're we're all serial killers. Yeah, exactly. at heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that the horrifying like realization that you're gay leads you to like you know it would be it would be better for me if I admitted that I I was just a necrophiliac <laughs> than that I was gay. Oh yeah. So I just thought that was a very interesting mix of people there. You know, not at all what I expected, but uh, yeah. So, okay, we now well, now let's talk about the book. <laughs> I'm kind of fascinated by this now. I'm like, wow. I wonder, I, I, like, I want that national survey. I know. Of... I'm always curious to see what an audience is for a movie. That's why. I, that's that's why I brought it up because it wasn't the demographic I expected at all. I mean, I was happy to see it <laughs> see that happen, but sure. Hashtag gay for Dahmer. <laughs> But right. you know, in in a different light of that, I recommended it to like so many horror movie fans, not even thinking that it might be an artsy kind of movie. Yeah. And, uh, nobody, I don't know if nobody has seen it. That nobody else besides the two, of, the two of you are the only two people I know that have seen the movie in in like the the podcasting sphere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been a lot of silence. Nobody's been like, "Why the fuck did you make me watch that movie?" <laughs> But nobody's been like, hey, thanks. Right. Well, there, because there's a percentage of people that were like, I kind of got hard watching it. <laughs> and I don't I got a lot of questions to answer about myself before I can talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction, at least. That's just you, Bo. <laughs> That's just yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, but it's OK. It's a safe space here. You, you can share. <laughs> yeah. If necessary. I'll we'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I think I wonder how many times because you know Dahmer's MO was I'm gonna get my victims uh all whacked out on booze and pills, and then you know he would uh strangle them once they were passed out, uh, which I guess is a kind of mercy, I suppose. They never really felt it. But uh I, I wonder if Dahmer himself uh, was ever like self-aware enough to be like, you know, I just, I, there's gotta be a better way. Like what, what if I abandoned the booze and pills for just a straight old knife or something like that? I just, I don't think he could have ever pulled it off. I don't like no. as big and burly as he was. I don't think he had the, in a weird way, the moral capacity for it. Like no, one, he wasn't a Ted Bundy. Right. He literally, like, ripped flesh apart with his teeth. Like, yeah. No. It's, you know, uh, what is it? Product and process killers. He Dahmer was product. He, he yeah. didn't actually like killing people. That's why he got boozed up for it. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> Poor fucking guy. <laughs> and also, how dare you? <laughs> like, what a monster. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I felt bad for you until you killed a person. And then it's kind of like, ugh. I, uh, there's still yeah. that human empathy that separates. Yeah. 
but it's like I just I mean I I don't know because it, because I've not been there you know I just it it's like could you stop yourself or you know like where's the and his um he tried to plead insanity right and that was refused that was rejected yes yeah because this was um I think I was I was nine or ten when he got arrested. So it was like, you know, I was aware of it, but I couldn't be as engrossed in everything outside my allotted TV time that I was <laughs> I was allowed to have every day, which was minor. But I, I remember sort of following this and um, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just a very interesting story. And, you know, growing up a few hours from where this story takes place and stuff like that, like I said earlier, you know, we... Durf, Dahmer, and I all went to the same college. Dahmer used to get drunk at the punk club where my band used to play all the fucking time. I mean, he obviously had moved on <laughs> from that. But, I mean, some of the old people <laughs> remembered, uh, you know, some of the old people would tell you stories about him. And I think somewhere in the comic book, he says that uh, one of the friends saw him passed out on a bench outside a bar uh, right across the street from the college is where the bar is. And there was a row of benches (laughs) and it's just, um, the low, the local, the locality of it, uh, made it extra interesting for me. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, I don't know. I guess this would be notoriety. I think Ohio's got Charles Manson lived here for a while. And Jeffrey was born in Cincinnati. He was born in Cincinnati. Yeah. Grew up there. Yeah. Well, and I remember that from when I lived there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and the notoriety comes from the fact that he was such a nightmare when you heard the details of what he had done yeah because it wasn't just like oh he, you know he would take uh you know some some poor gay guy home from the club and stabby stabby and then he would hide the body it was he's trying to make love zombies by taking a fucking drill and drilling us into someone's skull and pouring the equivalent of battery acid in there. Yeah. And and when that didn't work, he tried boiling water. And that dude, in some say, might have actually lived a couple of days after that. Right. Right. And and so when you hear this stuff, you're like, that is beyond what you see in horror films. You know, it's it's more like reality became more extreme than the horror movies that I loved. And so there was that element of just the utter madness of what he had done, like the cannibalism and the necrophilia, like every taboo thing rolled into one serial killer. You know, he was, he was gay and that was taboo. He was, he was a cannibal. That was taboo. He had sex with the bodies and the skulls and that was taboo and and reveled in it like it, it was just sitting around in his apartment he kept the bodies and all that stuff was just this whirlwind of sensational reporting but it was also true and it i mean it was horrifying it, there there had never been a serial killer like it like even manson was just like hey go kill them rich people and people did and it was terrible but it wasn't like Manson's compelling because of just what a weirdo he is. <laughs> dance, dance revolution master. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, uh, he's just a, a, a crazy person who may who have a, met. Yes. 
yeah, I, I mean, he's fascinating. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, you know, if you've if you've never done it, uh, the uh, the book Helter Skelter is incredibly oh, compelling. It is so good. But Dahmer was just every nightmare you've ever had about what a serial killer could do to you. The blue barrel being wheeled out of the building. Yep. Right. You the know. fact that he was taking cold showers so he didn't melt the ice, keeping the body from decomposing in the shower. You know, I mean, shit like that, where it was like, he did what? How could you live that way? And also, it was inevitable in a way, you know, like once you get into his background, that, you know, this perverted search for love became something so horrifying but it, yeah i mean to your point darren like when this hit the airwaves it, it was like nothing else there had never been anything like it nationally reported that i could ever recall um it, i mean it was a true monster made flesh like and when you saw him it was like yeah he looks like he ate someone you know uh, I don't know if he really does or not. It's just that you, you like Jeffrey Dahmer became a name that, that had the weight of like a Freddy Krueger. It oh, was absolutely. just, he, he was immediately a monster. Absolutely. And I mean, and it was at a point where the 24 hour news cycle was still a relatively new thing. I would say, I mean, it's been around for a few years, but it was probably the first time there was a serial killer that was that extreme you know, and had that much access to the press. And he was so forthcoming with all these details. And there was all the evidence, the physical, just the forensic, you know, paradise of being able to, they could detail all the crimes because it was all right there. He didn't do a good job cleaning anything up. And he wasn't hiding anything. No, he wasn't, you know, an organized serial killer where he, you know, followed his victim for days and, learned all their patterns and shit it was just like i'm gonna want to come and murder and death and pouring acid into people's heads followed right it's yeah it's amazing he got he he should never have got away with it as long as he did if it weren't for cops who were prejudiced against the community that was being attacked definitely definitely and that that's one thing uh you talking about that just uh, made me think about um, sort of like I was saying earlier about how there's a lot of local stuff here. So there was a lot of premieres. They played the movie at the college, a lot of promotion, this, that, and the other thing. But then I was seeing that in Milwaukee where he was, you know, the Jeffrey Dahmer that you think about first, only one theater played the movie. Everybody else didn't want to play it because they didn't want to dredge up that, that shit for residents or something like that. Yeah. They don't like the publicity around it, the case <clears throat> at all. Yeah. Well, because if you're Milwaukee, your like tourism board can never promote the cuisine. So long as Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> is still in living memory. <laughs> and it works its way into jokes. I remember when this was, uh, when he was in the trial, I saw some stand up comedian and he was talking about, the cops in horror movies and the, he was like, well, what are these Milwaukee cops? And uh, my dad laughed and I didn't get it. So he had to explain it to me about the Milwaukee cops being so not being able to see a killer right in front of them. Yeah. Um, 
And Milwaukee is an awesome city, by the way. So, yeah, <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> I hear Madison is quite nice also. I like Madison better, but I've been to Milwaukee multiple times because of uh, largely because of the great circus parade. Because my mother, the clown, um, oh. would she had a few years where she paraded in that and it would come through downtown Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> my mother the clown is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time by, by the way yeah yeah my mother the dancing fool yes yeah. and the famous tagline that's my mom <laughs> well her first clown name used to be mac which stood for which, which was m-a-c which stood for mom's a clown <laughs> And not Mac the Knife, important distinction. Right, exactly. (laughs) She would just put on makeup and then start whispering, when the clock strikes, (laughs) after six, babe. (laughs) Sorry, serial killers on the brain. Um, Your mother is probably most likely not a serial killer. No, she is not. Not a John Wayne Gacy (laughs) clown. (laughs) Oh, thank Christ. But I then mean, again, we about serial killers. <laughs> then again, have you checked her crawl space? Like, what's going on in there, really? <laughs> she's so she's actually really funny because she'll be like, people are so afraid of clowns sometimes. Like, you know, I know there are different movies, like whatever it and Poltergeist, but you know that John Wayne Gacy guy? Oh, he ruined it for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure, sure. One bad apple. <laughs> But, I mean, he was a particularly bad clown. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was a bad clown, <laughs> as far as clowns go. Wasn't there something about how his, his like, serial killerness is reflected in his makeup? Yes, it is. Something about sharp points or downward angle or something? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. No, that's very accurate, actually. I could tell you too much of the history of clowns, but I'm going not going to. Let's go back to talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. Speaking of clowns, let's talk about class clowns. <laughs> yeah. And and the wacky Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, yeah. All right. So are, are we talking about the book officially now? Yeah, we're officially talking about the book now. Oh, this is so good, y'all. Okay. So. What makes the book so fascinating is, is something I, I mentioned way long ago, which is that it it's a it's a book where Dahmer hovers around the edges of the book almost always. Um, he features prominently in it, certainly, and and we do get peeks into like you know the thing, the scene in the shed, and there's a little bit about his family life, not nearly as much as, as what's in the film. But it's mostly him just doing weird shit in high school and and being, uh, you know, this weird recluse of a, of a kid that, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the early scenes in the in the graphic novel where Durf is sort of put with him on uh, in a biology class or something and then just kind of forgets that it ever happened. And there's a long time in the book before Durf and, D- and Dahmer are ever together again. And it just goes to show, like, he became this totally invisible figure in this high school that you would talk to him and think, maybe he's weird, maybe he's not, but you just didn't think much about him at all. 
and and that was the real nightmare of Dahmer was that he was an, a completely a, a completely unseen figure in high school, even as this darkness was brewing inside him. And and to me, that's the, what makes the book so much superior is that it's it's someone reflecting on like this was happening right in our midst, and none of us we all sniffed it out a little bit, but no one ever took any steps. It was just sort of an understanding that Dahmer was a weirdo and something bad was probably going to happen to him. Yeah. And, and, and the, in the real world, uh, like interviews with people that he went to school with. And I don't know if Durf ever mentions it, but, um, the idea was, Oh, he's probably going to kill himself one day because everyone knew he was a little bit of an outcast and, you know, was bullied, even though he was this enormous dude, um, that the, uh, the common thinking was one of these days, we're just going to hear that he, he shot himself or something. Yeah. I think, I think Durf says something about that in the after book notes, I think. Yeah, he does. Cause it, it was sometime around where I think he was reflecting on how Dahmer wasn't the first person he guessed when he was told that someone he went to school with was a serial killer. I know that I had to laugh at that. I had to laugh at that. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, yeah. I've, and I think he's, I don't know how many times he said it, but I remember clearly at least one time when Durf is speaking directly from the comic, he said like, you know, yeah, we, we could have noticed something and everything like that, but where were the fucking adults? Which, that's exactly true. I mean, his parents should have noticed something. I mean, the teachers, they don't really... I don't know. How much did the teachers notice? They didn't really seem to notice much. I mean, you have the one teacher who's sleeping in class. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's bringing cups of alcohol to class and drinking them there. Like, what teacher lets you drink any liquid in class? <laughs> The school well, I went to, no, the school I went to, you would have immediately had to get rid of that. You would have gotten a demerit for it. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, we got demerits in high school, so it was a little different. But um, the the adult control at the school, yeah, they weren't there either. Right. And I think that's what the book does a little bit better job of displaying than the movie does. Uh, again, going back to the idea that like, Hey, it was the high school was super overcrowded. Everybody was stressed out working to the gills. And if the teachers, they must have certainly noticed something at the very least in regard to his drinking and yeah. nobody, nobody just wanted to bother with it. You know, it was just like, who wants to fucking deal with this kid? being an alcoholic like just fucking pass him through and let him be somebody else's problem yeah i don't know it's it, it really is that like the 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 panels in the comic where he's watching the jogger when he first sees him kind of out the window uh of the hut or whatever and and begins you know having those fantasies and sort of realizing in his early adolescence or, or mid adolescence that he's gay and it, you know, there's no one to talk to about that. And while all the other kids, you know, 
like Durf and Neil and Mike are, you know, all have this kind of tight circle where they're genuinely friends. You know, they're hanging out all the time and telling each other secrets and right. com- coming up with plans and that kind of thing. And Dahmer is just a pawn in all of that. He's just somebody that they pull in to do a goofy thing, not really part of the crew. Um, you know, that that has to be nightmarish for someone who you know is you know how it is it's just like having having gone through high school yourself i'm sure uh, of having friends who talk very nonchalantly uh using a lot of slurry language when it comes to gay folk and it immediately sets you apart you know um and and how isolated that must have made him feel as well um that he could never ever tell the, the the people closest to him ostensibly he can never share th- this essential thing about himself with and uh again the book I, I think conveys the pathos of that a lot better than the film does and and how how torn Dahmer himself was yeah i mean it's uh one thing i really enjoyed about this and and like i said i don't read a lot of graphic novels, even though I do enjoy them. I just, for whatever reason, they're not a go-to for me. And, um, but one thing I really enjoyed with this is Jerf's, um, illustration style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, uh, Robert Crumb. Oh God. Yeah. Another yeah. Ohio artist, I believe. Um, you see, maybe I don't remember. I'm trying to let's see. Harvey Picar is from Cleveland. Probably, yeah, probably. I mean, it's it <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Uh, on a side note, I really liked James Urbaniak, uh, his portrayal of Crumb in uh, American Splendor. Yeah, I was yeah. just I was just thinking how much I want to watch American Splendor again after you mentioned <laughs> Harvey Picar. <laughs> Paul Giamatti is so good in that movie. I, I'll like me some some PG. Yeah. Uh, Crumb was born in Philadelphia. Okay. I don't know. Feels more Midwestern to me. <laughs> Whatever yeah. reason, but yeah. But I yeah, I could just see some certain similarities. That you know, I, I it it was uh oh well yeah that makes like, sense because Crumb did Harvey Picar's stuff. <laughs> Duh. Sorry. <laughs> Durf being a Durf is a big fan of Picar. He he got really excited when they're renaming that street after Harvey Picar. Okay. And, and he attended the event and all this other stuff. So sorry. You heard my thought process. No, I got it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> a peep behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of broken circuits that eventually get to something. So, you know, sometimes you gotta take the long way home. Uh Super Tramp said it best. <laughs> no, sir, they did not. <laughs> they never said anything best. <laughs> well, that's illogical. <laughs> oh, Super Tramp puns. How I love thee. <laughs> I'm all for puns. <laughs> all right. We'll meet in the middle then. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, all right. The... the I, I think one of the things, speaking of the art style, that it really does for this book is it, it it's such a plain, simple style of art that it conveys the kind of mundanity of all of the events of, of the story. That Exactly. For, 
for these kids, this was just, I mean, this is the whole point of, of the book is for these kids. This was just this kid that they kind of knew hovering around the periphery of their social circle that didn't seem especially noteworthy until he was. And it, the, the, the fact that it's this perfect marriage of sort of storytelling and art, as well as the subject matter being infinitely interesting, as mundane as it all is, you know, it's one of those Hitchcockian things of the suspense of the story is, you know how it ends, you know what right. this guy becomes and seeing these, these glimpses at, you know, like the, the drawings that Durf was making of him and, and uh, the way that he would do these fits in a way that just pleased them to no end. It was just, you know, dance monkey and he would do it. <laughs> and But they all thought it was hysterical. Like the library one in particular is the thing that I was like, I, I feel like if we hadn't done that, we totally would have. Like that's something that we would have been like, hey, Charlie, you know. I, I, there was a kid that we went to high school with that as I was watching uh, both the movie and reading the book, I, I was reminded of this kid that was really socially awkward and super weird, but would just do weird random shit. And would one of the things he did was just yell out noises. And we all thought it was very funny. And uh, seeing the library stuff, I was like, yeah, yeah, that feels right. Like I could have, I, I could have been doing, I could have been part of that circle that put Dahmer in that position. Um, and I, and I think there is where the movie has to get very pointed about that with Neil having the big apology and everything in this. I, I think the benefit of the book is that you can get Durf's direct thinking about it, which is, Hey, you know, we were, we were kids and kids are sometimes cruel and, that's just how it was. Like there, right. there's not a lot of apology for it, I guess. Right. One scene I really like in the book that better than the, the movie is the scene where they're driving to the mall where Donald Murray's going to do his last hurrah. And he's sitting in the back seat, pounding beers and the intensity. It, it just creates this kind of sense of unease that is so much greater than the shots in the movie where, oh, he's in the background and he might as well not even be there. Because it's more about the two sitting in the front seat. You barely see him actually pounding the beers. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the, the I don't know if it's in that scene or a later scene, so pretend I don't step on your scene by pointing <laughs> this out. Um <laughs> the the notion that there were different times among the friends where they were like that's probably a tipping point like that that's the point yeah. i don't want to hang around Dahmer anymore mm -hmm. and and i want to say it was maybe neil that was like that was kind of the point for him that it was like i this kind of behavior is not good and it's right. probably best we just don't deal with this guy any longer yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like much more of the general consensus. Um, because, it, I mean, it, it correlated with when his drinking intensified. Yeah, it's, oh man. And, and it, you know, they point, uh, Durf points it all, all, all through the book that 
his drinking was so extreme that everyone just kind of knew that Tomer was drunk all the time. Like people who didn't even know him beyond the fact that he was just this kid who showed up drinking. And, you know, and another thing the book does so much better is the, uh, the figs character. The other, the one that, Mm-hmm. You know, Durf says like, "Oh, that was the first person I thought of when right. uh, the news came." That Figs was this the more loud <laughs> psychopath of the school <laughs> that got all the good attention. And like, I thought the scene in the movie with him shooting the gun in the woods didn't. I I felt like that was a little too much character for that character. Yeah. I. I The way that he's handled in the book, which is just, oh, like, whereas Dahmer would be, you know, making weird noises in the library and and so forth. Figs was the one who was outwardly violent and and therefore got all the attention, like even at at being a psychopath, Dahmer has to play second fiddle (laughs) to, (laughs) to somebody else and. That his relationship with Figs was just largely, they were both kind of outcasts who liked to get fucked up. Right. And and that was it. Um, even though it seems like Figs kind of hovered around his house a couple of times and whatnot when Dahmer was left alone. And that's a more, I think, striking scene in the book than it is the film, where his mother's just like, hey, guess what? Uh, your dad's going to get the house me and uh david here taking off so you know deuces <laughs> and how like as a, a a teenager i i understand from experience how devastating it is to be left alone by a parent for an extended period of time much less in Dahmer's case where it was like i don't even know when someone's gonna show up you know um that kind of stuff i think just hits so much harder with the simplicity of the storytelling in this more so than it does the film which gets you know i mean it's a much more cinematic approach to the story whereas this is very very frank very very direct very you know it's black and white art uh and and it feels like a very black and white story in in the sense that it's it feels very honest you know, from from Durf's point of view of, about how he felt about this about this guy, both in high school and then in retrospect, knowing what he became, and and it's it's so fascinating. Like I, I wish I wish it were longer. <laughs> you know, I wish there were more of it. Right. Well, no, I agree with that because it's. I mean, it's a quick. I mean, in, once you include the notes, it ends up being about two hundred twenty pages in my copy of the book. Um, I have the hard copy um, just because I I'm one of those people that for like graphic novels I prefer the actual I the actual physical copy I mean I prefer physical copies anyway but particularly for graphic novels I just that's how I have to have the artwork but yeah it's I I finished it so quickly and I was like yeah I want more of that uh, I wish I could have been longer uh, but it's still enjoyable to have, (laughs) you know, it's not, I didn't feel let down. I feel like it still told a good amount of story. Yeah. And it gave a good, a a good insight into, in a different side of this person that you thought you knew, or, you know, you'd seen a certain amount about portrayed in the media. Oh my God, y'all. What about the the scene in the book uh, where he takes the dog out into the woods? 
Oof. Yeah. That, I, that's another scene I think is way... Even though in the movie you're seeing an, an honest-to-goodness real-life dog being taken out into the world, <laughs> there is something about the, the graphic novel representation of that, and especially the almost Disney-esque uh, smiling dog mm-hmm. uh, that, yes. that is involved in the artwork there. Th- that you're just like, oh my god, don't kill that dog. Please don't kill that dog. <laughs> a friend of mine came over and picked up the book and was like thumbing through and saw that scene and was just like, oh my god, I can't believe it. <laughs> this is a friend of mine that's an animal lover too, I have to say. but um, <laughs> it, It's it's so funny. People get it. like that. But... But even that scene ends in the book with like, and that's the last time he would ever show mercy. And it was just like, oh, God. It's like, Jesus. Becoming a monster. Why does this have to be so grim? Oh, right. It's about someone who eventually murders 17 people. Right. Right. Exactly. It's kind of grim. Uh, it's so good, though. I mean, it, it truly is one of those things that... It's an experience that I'm glad there was someone who was talented enough to communicate what that was like. I mean, and that's the best way I could recommend this book to someone would be to say, like, imagine if you went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, wait, you don't have to. You can actually get this experience summed up really well for you. Yeah. In the in this book and and feel some genuine sympathy for the character. I mean, he's clearly, you know, again, one of those very familiar childhood things of, of that kid whose family you kind of knew was pretty fucked up. And, and that seemed to be a thread much more so in, in the book than the film also that ever, it was kind of common knowledge that the Dahmer household was a bit odd to say the least. Right, and that the mother, I mean, people knew that the mother had her stays in the mental institution. Yeah. Multiple stays. She clearly had some things going on. Which would have, again, made Dahmer a target in high school. Like, kids are cruel, and that's the kind of information that children love to use against you. Um, so you have to think that even though we don't see this in, in book or movie, I don't think, that at some point... You know, Dahmer, if not was teased about that, was aware that people knew that. And that, again, pushes him further out. Like, he's the kid with the crazy mom. And, um, you know, the the Durf points out the yearbook photo where the uh, the teacher blackened his face out of the uh, out of the photo and even he says like this is probably the best representation of what Dahmer was in high school he was this faceless anonymous entity that had right this weird celebrity but only like nobody knew him they just knew what he did right the boy who didn't belong i think is how he ended talking about that picture yeah yeah it's... didn't uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, it's that dichotomy of this is at once the most heartbreaking story of a troubled child who had no one there to help him. And also, oh, my God, how did someone not just murder him before he could start this this rampage that ruined lives and families and and all of that? I mean, he's 
he, he's a terrible, terrible person that you can't help but think, do the, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, uh, right. could this have ever been prevented? Right. And it seems that there were clear enough signs that it could have been not necessarily, not, it's not guaranteed that it would have been prevented, but there were at least strong possibilities of he could have gotten some help that could have steered him in another direction and given him some more options and ways to deal with him himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he didn't have a dad that didn't care and a mother that was mentally ill and also whacked out on pills. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe, and maybe if some of the teachers had cared, maybe if there had been a student that looked beyond uh, Dahmer as just someone that was kind of weird and funny. Um, if anyone had, um, th- but there was no one. I mean, that, and that's the tragedy is that yeah. he was truly, utterly alone in a way that I think few people have ever been surrounded by people, but totally isolated from them. And it's, it's a shame, but also he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I know, and it's, it, it is a, a very hard situation. I mean, like I said, I, I, looking at the both the book and the movie, I there are certain things where I and I knew I again I've read about Jeffrey Dahmer, I've seen documentaries, whatever before, so I've known these different facts. But to be able to see and relate to, I mean, him on multiple levels, and you know, I was the kid who didn't have many friends. There were a few points where I had virtually no friends. Um, I didn't, I mean, you wouldn't believe it now, but I would barely talk to people because I was so painfully shy. (laughs) That went on for years. And then even when I was like, I had a few more friends, I still, yeah, there was still a certain amount of isolation that I had because I didn't feel like I could talk to them. They had different priorities. I was really just kind of biding my time to get the hell out of there. I mean, I was in Alabama after all. Uh, (laughs) A place that s- saw 1965 <laughs> and said, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, that was a... And, and I knew very early on when when I moved there that I didn't belong there. You know, I was isolated because of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's so easy to say, oh, somebody just should have paid attention because there's a certain amount of responsibility again that he has to take for himself. Oh, you know? Certainly, certainly, but uh, you know, it, it's just that awful it's rule just, of thumb. It's that, just he needed help, and you know. Yeah, and as soon as he started associating sex with violence, it was done. Right. Like he was always going to be a killer after that. Absolutely. Ugh, poor fucking guy, and and monster. Yeah, I know. It's exactly. I think that's. <laughs> What what that's one thing that makes him a more interesting serial killer to me, because he is a little more complex in that way <laughs> than than some others that are just killing machines and yeah 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 I a mean sociopath who had who you know doesn't get it and whatever right I mean not to yada yada it but you know it's the Oh yeah, he was came from a broken home, was abused by the parents, molested as a child, lashed out at society, murdered women, or you know, 
what have you. Like, that's a very common serial killer story, and it happens a lot, unfortunately. But yeah, Dahmer is that that case of, you know, it was, there's so much relatable about him. He's not the Ted Bundy who was outwardly charismatic and, you know, uh, seemed normal by all appearances, or even Gacy you know, was a pillar of the community and all that. Like Dahmer was a a weirdo from jump. And yeah, absolutely. uh, And, you know, just could never, uh, could never make it in, in society, unfortunately. Um, boy, I mean, but it's such a fascinating book. I, 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 I'm so pleased to, uh, to have had to, I, I was in the same boat you were, Vanessa, where it was like on my list, but I'd never actually read it. And once I did, I was like, oh, yeah, that was long overdue. That Yeah, so, it's yeah. exactly how I felt. That's absolutely how I felt. I'm glad I'm glad you guys, you folks liked it. Well, Darren, I already told you you're doing better than David <laughs> at this point because this is the first book you've suggested and I liked it. Da- I mean, David's first book was that fucking Five Night at Fre- Freddy's book <laughs> and it was so fucking terrible. <laughs> it's hard to believe that seems like such a, a clear, uh, solid choice. <laughs> that was because it was uh, Updike, right? Uh, came back to write that. Um, <laughs> just like oh, a crumbly marriage. Oh my god, that thing! I yes, and David actually picked up the second one in the series. Or they're going to have more. I just, it's terrible. No, that's the new Goosebumps. No, <laughs> it's not that well written. Uh... <laughs> Oh, God. Yes. So, Darren, thumbs up on picking this. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. So, I will uh, probably let everyone down a bit more next time. Don't worry. That later disappointment. But this time. <laughs> right now, I'm Grand riding slam. the wave. I'm riding the wave right. of success. Hashtag I mean, that, well, it's okay. I, I mean, I, I'll have probably a, a, a chance to disappoint, potentially disappoint you next month. Uh, <laughs> Oh, have you uh, picked it? Can we can we spoil yeah, it? I was gonna say, are we finished talking about um, the book? I I think so. I mean, I think we could go on forever if we wanted to, but I think you know, we've got to I a good point we, of stopping. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, obviously, this is a subject <laughs> we can we can right. talk about. But I, I feel like we gave a nice sampling of, hey, here's some stuff we know about Dahmer. That's not in the books because you can't talk about this stuff without talking about what Dahmer was later. Right. And, um, well, and then g- reading it or watching the movie, you have that in the back of your mind anyway. You know how the story ends. Yeah. There's no spoilers. <laughs> right, right. Spoilers. He died in prison when someone bashed him in the skull with a weight. Yeah. Yep. Ironically, how he killed uh, his first victim, the the hitchhiker. Exactly. Full circle. Dipsy doodles. That's the circle of life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on that note. I would like to see Disney's run at a Dahmer film. (laughs) Well, you know, you brought it back. The film had a Disney star in it, so. Oh, yeah. Unintentional Dipsy doodle. The best kind. Yep. 
And do you think he's starting a trend with Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy soon? I was just going to say that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm curious about that film. Like Ted Bundy is one of those guys that who on the surface seems like a decent guy, but the 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 rampage uh, at at Florida is one of the more horrifying serial killer stories of all time. They like, caught they caught him in Florida, like in Pensacola, Florida, which is about an hour away from where I grew up in Alabama. Like he was driving and was like on his way to where I lived (laughs) when they caught him. Yeah, I I remember that in the news. And I had long, dark hair, like straight dark hair, like the girls that he liked to kill. I mean, granted, I was too young, like for his demographic, but I was I looked older than my age. (laughs) Hey, he was he was on tilt and in a pinch. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) that was. I have weird memories of that. <laughs> Boy, yeah, he's a another fascinating individual, but his his later work, the <laughs> the the last uh, hurrah for Ted Bundy is just an animal set free. It is yeah. savage. Yeah. Um, you know, Dahmer was just this hope hapless fumbling weirdo who did some of the most god awful things that you can imagine doing to somebody, but. Bundy was the one who liked it. He he, right. Bundy loved killing and raping. Yeah, yeah. There was no way around that. <laughs> well, so we'll be back for <laughs> <laughs> what it was. It perfect stranger was the uh, what? What was the Anne Rule book? Um, stranger beside me. Stranger beside me. Sure enough, yeah. That's a good book. It, yeah. It, it really is. It really is a good book. I've, I mean, but I've I've read a couple of other of her things too, and I, I I enjoy her style well enough. You know, she's pretty good at um, telling a story. That uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, which could also be called My Friend Ted. Uh, <laughs> that <Right>. book. <laughs> I know. So. Fun. <laughs> anytime you need someone to talk too much. About a serial killer, just give me a chinkle. <laughs> yeah, same here. Same here. Obviously, I uh, yeah, I no, I missed my calling. I should have gone into uh, forensics, and I really considered it for a long time growing up. Um, and when I lived in Cincinnati, I actually had like a temp job with the police department, homicide, um, transcribing interviews and confessions, and <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, that was really interesting. Last yeah. that, was, that, that lasted for like eight months. That was the best temp gig I've ever had. Oh, sure. Just, you know, and 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 then we were fighting in the bar, and that's when I had the glass bottle in my hand, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see where this goes. <laughs> oh, and yeah, well, and they walk right through the, you know, the interview rooms right by me, too. So I got to get, get a good look, but. Like plenty of crime scene photos, I yeah I saw. So when when they pass by, were you just like, "Yep, they did it." <laughs> I can spot them. That that guy is guilty as shit. Sometimes you yeah you got where you were kind of like, I'm giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. However, <laughs> they look like they're hiding something. 
<laughs> we brought Shifty Pete in, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Well, and the, it, the interesting thing is that the Cincinnati PD was under, con- like, being constantly, like, investigated for using excessive force, particularly against black people. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, so that was a whole other interesting aspect of working there at that time. But anyway, <laughs> how the cops treated different suspects. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Was, yeah, it was interesting. Anyway, yes, obviously we can talk about this for a long time. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. The morgue is not too far from the VD clinic. Uh, right, it is. Exactly. (laughs) There's a shoot leading right down. (laughs) One of them death slides like they had in old mental institutions and shit. (laughs) Who died? How many? (laughs) All right. Throw them down the chute. Corpse stays Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, So next month. We are going to be shifting gears a little and talking about the drug-fueled 80s. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be uh, reading Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis, who coincidentally, he also, he shares the same birthday as me today. Yeah, so it's, yeah, not the same age, but anyway, (laughs) we're just doing the book of that. The movie that Darren, I, I don't know if you've seen this before, but... If you see it, you may you may be disappointed in me, but I kind of love this. Um, the movie Liquid Sky. I have yet to see it. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I'm <putting laughs> telling you ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I give weird movies a chance. Okay. Um, yeah. But I, who knows? <laughs> if, if I really like it or I don't, that's going to be an interesting conversation. It's going to well, be, uh, go ahead. That's the hope. I mean, you know, it, if you hate it, you know, it'd be, it would be really suck if the conversation was just, I hated it. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> you hang up on Skype immediately. <laughs> Mute my mic. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that shit. <laughs> yeah, definitely oh, not going to drop it. But, um. I've just got the dancing song stuck in my head now. But I'll tell you what, that Lesson Zero soundtrack, just fine. I love that. I still, I think my mom still has my copy of it on vinyl. Yeah, it's got that uh, rockin' Bangles cover of uh, Hazy Shade of Winter. Some uh, LL Cool J. Oh, sure. Yeah, it produced by Rick Rubin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, great album. Yeah. Do you know what else Bo- is great is Bo Ransdell. Yes. Thanks for but- coming on today, dude. Hey, thanks. That's nice of you to say. And if only Dahmer had gotten that approbation. <laughs> dude, that's what's keeping me from killing. So, well done. Public service performed. While you're not uh, killing people, what are you up to these days? Um, hiding it, mostly. Uh, <laughs> taunting the cops with letters. Um, no, I... <laughs> There's a code in all of your podcasts that we just haven't uh, picked up on yet. Oh, yeah. It's it's very Zodiac. Like, no one's ever going to crack it. Um, oh, no. I wish. Although, if I were a serial killer, I would totally be the cop-taunting kind. Like, how could you not? How, how could you not be the Moriarty? You know? 
it's my that's my style it ain't the love zombies it's the you know well police <laughs> dare i taunt you again dare you catch me yeah the the next victim's name will be judith that's all you get for now <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Uh, now I gotta burn that one. I can't use that one anymore. Um, <laughs> to direct a tie. Um, hey, legionpodcasts.com is where you can find uh, this show among many other fun programs. Um, and yeah, all the stuff is there. Like there's the 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 stuff I do, which is the uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which is doing the X Files now, and Horror Hangover, which is about to do Life Force. And Hero Hero Go Show, which is all about Asian horror. And that is, uh, we're going to have a bonus episode this month with the first two Whispering Corridors films. And uh, then uh, Court will be joining me, uh, Court Psyops, uh, for King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, one of the more significant entries into the Toho Godzilla oeuvre. Uh, so we'll be devoting an entire episode to that film because you know it's King Kong versus Godzilla. What are you? <laughs> what are we doing here? Should be <laughs> right. I mean, uh, we got to talk about this. It's you know, it's the king versus the the kaiju yeah. in an uh, all-out battle royale. So, um, man, I love those movies so much. <laughs> it's. It it is the the delicious uh, loaded potato soup of the soul. Uh, are those Godzilla movies for me? Yeah, see, I like the, I like the Kong movies. I, well, anything that gives me a giant, you know, ape or monkey, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, actually, anything that gives me any ape or monkey. I mean, come on, Shockma. <laughs> yeah, Shockma. I mean, Monkey Shines. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. Nobody is a bigger fan of the ape run amok genre than myself. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'll tell you, here's the problem is that Godzilla never branched out enough for my taste. Like I needed more than just not Godzilla. I'm sorry. King Kong, uh, that I needed more apes for right. that to get engaging. Yeah. Cause, or want them to fly or something. Right. <laughs> and, and what Godzilla has going for it is uh, just the wild inventiveness of some of the monsters that Godzilla ultimately fights. Well, yeah. And and often the silliness. And one thing that I've often pointed out as a, a deep love of, of that brand of, of film uh, is I'm, I'm a Mothra person at heart. <laughs> I, not in the sense that I, that, that is my favorite monster in those movies. It's just the one I relate most to. In the sense that Mothra doesn't really get off Mothra's ass for that much. Like, to get Mothra engaged at all, you gotta go to this tiny island in the middle of fucking nowhere. Find a couple of cute Japanese twins. Get them to agree to sing to Mothra. And then Mothra might hear your case. <laughs> right, right. Like, Mothra ain't getting out of bed for less than two or three Ghidorahs. <laughs> and and I appreciate that about Mothra. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I feel Mothra is my spirit animal. <laughs> I'm just just like what again? When? Uh, all right. 
is Rodan there? Because if Rodan's there, I'm not going. Okay. All right. Fuck that guy. It's me and Godzilla <laughs> for life. Uh, but yeah, I, I love those movies a lot. So the, in short answer, legionpodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Darren, did you want to plug anything else? Um, I, doing really? Let's see. I I would like to recommend everybody check out the VD Clinic podcast. <laughs> um, and if you want some more uh, wild tangents and uh, a little bit more politics, come over to the Psycho Semantic podcast and check me and sometimes Vanessa, sometimes Bo. We'll be yep. doing our next Dead Zone episode any day now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just did uh, Repo Man uh, with Liam from Scott and Liam versus Evil. That right now I'll have to wait, but I think it might be the most positive feedback I've had on an episode so far. I don't, you know. Um, so I think I'm doing it right over there. I keep getting more. I got a lot from the Dead Zone. And, uh, so I think I'm getting was better, it not please worse. Stop? Huh? Was it please shut these assholes up? No, no. I got, uh, I'm glad you didn't delete that first hour and a half and just put out two episodes. Yeah. So yeah, all that stuff that. No, I agree. I agree with that. It was good. <clears throat> so I, yeah, <laughs> I well, come over to the psychosemantic podcast. I think I'm getting better. Uh, <laughs> Where we fail forward, <laughs> the Legion podcast motto. That's right. I just keep getting great guests like Vanessa and Bo and Duncan and Liam and all my guests that always make me look good. Well, Bo, you help make us look good, I hope. <laughs> That's I, why you're going to tune into this episode. It's not going to be for me. <laughs> no, I. that was a blast. I think uh, I, 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 I am obsessive about serial killers in a way that that is unhealthy um but i i love any opportunity to kind of talk about uh particularly somebody like Dahmer who's just the most fascinating of that stripe for me uh i there are very few you know aside from the unknown zodiac uh there are few serial killers where i'm just like i love every detail of this story Mm-hmm. Even though there's so much misery in it, there's something right. fascinating about every aspect of his uh, of his life. Yeah, we even talk about him in the army, getting drunk all the time in the army, and that's yeah. why he got kicked out. Yeah, it got honorably discharged for constantly jerking off and getting drunk. Ugh. it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, let's start over. I, I got better <laughs> material this time. <laughs> I just like you guys. Uh, you could cut me out of this show, and it would be an amazing episode. I think. <laughs> no, Darren, you add things. You have <laughs> added something today. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's podcast. It was your idea, and, and it was your idea exactly. I'm an ideas man. That works. I've just that been works. very <laughs> rambly today. You know, for kids. <laughs> Okay, well, let's wrap it up then. Um, yeah, I'm only here. I mean, no, I pop up, uh, I guess, here and there. And um, if you want to hear me be ridiculous, I did that 
talking about us guesting on other shows, I guessed it on uh, the Cinema Psyops show and did uh, covered Foxy Brown and talked about my lady boner for uh, Pam Greer <laughs> for almost what three hours. <laughs> oh sure, I mean Foxy Brown. <laughs> and Fuck. then Karen was on there after me. Yeah, talking about cult of Chucky. Cult, so. cult of Chucky. Yeah. yeah, making the right and uh. I heard a wonderful little episode of a show called Devour the Podcast the other day that I think I heard you both on, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. That's right. Devour represent two, two of the three hosts of uh, Devour the Podcast. Yeah. Right here on this show right now. Yeah. When are we recording next? <laughs> I, well, all right. So we got to get uh, by the time you hear this, it will probably be out that there will be a segment. That is, a, like I said, it's an old segment we're bringing back where we're doing the uh, the um, streaming stuff. Only we want listeners to pick the movie. Um, so don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And then and then drop by Devour the Podcast Facebook page uh, where you can uh, help select the movie that we watch. And and so once we know what that is. Because we know what the uh, the main movie is, and then we'll we'll figure it out. But soon, yes. we will do it soon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Are you going to make it so people can't add to the poll, but you'll see what comments are and add the add the sufferable ones in there? Well, that all right. So that's also part of the problem. Is like, okay, how do you let people recommend a movie without it becoming a crazy free for all? And how do you you pe- pare that list down? And and that's part of what I'm trying to figure out, I think the first time is going to be like, let's see how this works and then figure out how we can make it better after that. Cause it's <laughs> probably going to be a little loosey goosey the first time around. Yeah. I have a feeling that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like again, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it flies and, and then figure it out. Well, like people may be perfectly reasonable and, and all, everybody recommends a good movie. And then we, just take 10 randomly and use that as the poll or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so shut up, Darren. God damn it, Darren. <laughs> quit, quit asking me about things I, I only vaguely have planned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. We're under a lot of pressure. <laughs> we are. <laughs> it's been a long day. We're all hopped up on goofballs. <laughs> I mean, Come on, Jeffrey. I mean, I, I can take these because it's my man. Then you don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> exactly. On that note, <laughs> why don't you say uh, good night, Darren? Good night, Darren. Bo. Good night, Bo. Good night, Bo. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Happy birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday, Vanessa. Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more. So much coffee, so much death.
I, <laughs> I think that's a Tom Waits song. <laughs> uh, so much Dom- coffee, so much death. The Dahmer has been drinking. <laughs> Install the Bowery Bones. All to say that once. Better off without a knife. Um, <laughs> oh man, I uh, 